Here we go. Harry, show me your moves. You have moves? Uh, I thought you wanted me not to move on this chair. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. So here we are uh, back in the studio. And no, not laughs. Applause. Applause. Thank you. And today I'm just so lucky to have Harry Kalimnius in the house. I didn't press that button. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'll forgive you. It's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> Harry Kalimnius, I did right with your last name. You did, yeah, well done. There you go. Awesome. Listen, mate, thank you so much for being here today. You came today from Brighton. That's right. I spent a few days in Brighton enjoying the sea. Uh, and after, like, my sister lives in Brighton, and this is the first time, last year was the first year that I'd actually gone in the sea in Brighton after 20 years of going to Brighton. I never got to do it. And then this time I managed to get in the sea three days in a row. How was the temperature? Was it cold? Um, it's... Not that bad, actually. Mm. I, I I don't know. I'd probably say about 18, 18 degrees, which mm -hmm. is not too bad. Aiden's um, decent. I know when I just started doing the cold water swim in Thames, which is um, in Slough, which is quite clean Thames. Yeah. It's like a Jubilee Thames, they call it. Yeah. Uh, it was 16 degrees, and I remember I would be no wetsuit, but I could feel it's quite, quite chill. Yeah. But 18 degrees. I think it was slightly... Uh, yeah, because I remember doing the triathlon years ago in, in the Thames as well, and that was like 19, and it felt co felt cooler than that. But I was in Devon last week, North Devon, and that mm -hmm. seemed warmer. Like, um, How is your relationship with cold water? Have you done any cold water therapies and stuff? Mm, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled with it, like, mm -hmm. you know, dabbled with the cold showers now and then, and I have been wanting to put maybe like a like a... a permanent cold bath in my garden yeah yeah point. yeah that's um, what i used to have i actually just removed it i had this thing i uh, paid it uh, uh 30 40 pounds it's just like a little bath uh but now since i'm a member of david lloyd's um bracknell yeah. uh, leisure which is an amazing place and i do cold cold bath every day have they I got do. a cold thing there Sorry? Have they got a cold plunge yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's about seven degrees, oh, seven, wow. seven, six Jeez. degrees, very decent. Well, I got used to two degrees in Bali. Wow. Yeah, so I do sauna for 20, 25 minutes, and then I do that for four or five minutes. And did you know that you actually can go in cold water longer if you haven't done sauna before? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've done, like... Cold therapy, I have done ice bath, so I remember we did like this mass men's event once, I mm. went with a few mates and there was like about 100 guys and we were doing lots of like the Wim Hof breathing mm. and then we all kind of jumped in this big, I think it might be even a picture on my Instagram somewhere from like maybe a few years ago. Oh God, uh, yeah, well, it's going to take me a while to no, find no, it's not, it won't take you that long, yeah. it's not that many posts actually, but... <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think it was actually last, last well, just October 2019, probably, because it was just after I had surgery. Um, but there was um, there was a nice bath there, so we did that. And I've done cryotherapy a few times. Yeah, like, I never tried it. I heard a lot of good things so about it. It's a lot easier than the ice baths. But the only problem with it is it's very expensive. Yeah, I used to go to this place in Liverpool Street. I think mm. it was like 60 quid for um, three minutes. Plus, you've got 20 minutes on Normatec trousers. You know the Normatecs? The yeah. Inflatable type some, some of my stunt performers, uh, free runners, they were advertising them. I could see, like, in the beginning, I thought, it's like your leg broken or something, because that yeah. thing looks just like a cast. Yeah, well, I bought a cheap man's version of that from my dad, <laughs> and um, and he uses that, like, most days, mm. because he d he's got, like, like, you know, 
dodgy circulation in his legs. Right, right, right. And so and he just helps. sits there, watch TV, and then you put them on. And I use it when I can as well, when I'm, yeah. whenever I'm around there. And uh, it's like about a quarter of the price of the normal takes. But I think they're good. I think they So what, is it a worm? No, no, no. It's, it's cold. Just, it's just um, in air. And it will just like... Oh, just presses in... Oh. It presses, releases, presses, releases. Like so pulsating kind of thing. So it restricts the blood flow mm. and then allows the blood to flow back. And you just sit there for half an hour, an hour, watching TV whilst mm-hmm. having that. And you, and it, it's good for things like DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, if you've been cycling a lot, doing leg workouts or whatever. Uh, I don't do a huge amount of that stuff, so my legs are not really ever that sore. But I've had it for like you know, just relaxation. My sister loves it. She just falls asleep straight away when mm. she's using it. So, so yeah, in Liverpool Street, it was 60 quid for 20 minutes on Normatec and then three minutes on that. And you get down to about minus, what is it, minus 180 or something ridiculous. Or, mm-hmm. uh, and I find that easier, to be fair, than cold showers. Um, That's what people keep saying. That's it, what keep it's saying. It's easier. Can you just move your mic a little bit? Like, I see that you're turning to me, not yeah. to there, oh, just oh, to like the side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on a second. Like that. There you go. Oh, is that going to work? <laughs> yeah, okay. Hopefully that's okay. Um, that's good. So, yeah, but like the swimming in the water was, I, I don't mind it actually. It's Because you, once you're in, you're in. Yeah. And, and you, you just got to deal with it. Um, the shower, it's, it's too easy to kind of just go to the hot again. Mm, um, mm. And my old showers in my old flat, they never really went that cold anyway. Yeah. Um, well, the reason why I start talking to you about the cold, uh, cold water therapies, I mean, you are quite a health freak, you know, and mm. we're going to talk about this a little bit further. Uh, and then uh, that's what I was wondering, because that's one of the things what anyone who is in health and, and fitness, it really helps. And I've yeah. been doing this now for the last two years. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I'm, I'm following strictly Wim Hof's all the breathing. I did it for a while. Got kind of bored a little bit, and yeah. you you need to really commit. But the cold stuff, it it just it wakes you up. It it, it makes just feel so much better. And also because I always get sore muscles from, especially now yeah. doing BJJ, I'm pretty much every day sore. Like yeah. yesterday, I was rolling for two hours, and I'm like, uh, yeah. I feel today. Yeah. So that's what I was wondering if you've done more research in that and and done yourself. Yeah. I mean, I've done a bit of research. I mean. The question always get uh, gets asked, and I've heard it asked in other podcasts, and I, I don't think I've ever heard a good answer for it. So I'm going to give you my answer. But they always mm. say like, you know, how long do you need to be in like the cold for, or like the cold shower, right? Like, and some people say, well, just thirty seconds, whatever. But I think the an- the actual answer, I think, is it need and how cold does it need to be? I think, I think in terms of how cold it needs to be, I think it needs to be cold enough that you feel a shock. Yeah. Right. Because the whole point is it's supposed to activate your stress response. Um, and then you have to be in it long enough until you get over that shock and you're able to kind of normalize your breathing, normalize your, yeah. your thing. And everyone so is going to be different as everyone's well. Everyone's going to be different. Yeah. So rule of thumb might be, you know, have a, have a normal shower and then finish on cold for 30 mm. seconds. But, you know, maybe that 30 seconds is 20 seconds. Maybe it's 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, it doesn't have to be all the way to cold. It just has to be enough that, like, when you, I think you're cold enough that it creates a shock. And right. the whole point of it is it's creating that stress response. And, and the idea is that you're able to manage yourself through that stress response, which is why the Wim Hof is all, like, it's hyperventilating breathing mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. activating a stress response. And it's not the kind of breathing we normally would teach in, say, a yoga class. Yeah, or something like yeah. That. We normally teach breathing that activates your parasympathetic, not your sympathetic nervous system. 
Great. We're going to talk about yoga as well. Um, the thing what I wanted to say about uh, cold water, uh, my experience was as soon as I started doing it, I remember one of my mates who used to do it a lot. He told me that th- uh, the rule of thumb is you need to get out of the water when y- your jaw starts shaking. He oh, said, really? yeah, as soon as it, that's you, you like literally start shaking, you should get out. That's yeah. not good for you anymore. Yeah. And I remember I could get uh, not going from sauna, but just going uh, just normally in a cold. I could go for five degrees for about four or five minutes, yeah. you know, and then I remember my jaw yeah. starts shaking. And I think at the beginning when I started doing it, I didn't really understand what I'm doing. And I would be like getting out and and like all red and I'm trying to get the blood flow, like push-ups, jumping yep. around and stuff. It was very weird, but, you know, I realized it's it's really something that I would like I mean, to do. One of the, like yesterday I went to like a hot yoga class and then the teacher and a few of our students went for a swim in the sea afterwards, which I was planning to do anyway, mm. so it was nice that they had some people. But she was saying, and I've heard this before, but she was saying kind of rule of thumb is you stay in for as long as the temperature of the uh, of the water is. So say if the, oh, if the water is that's six, a good one. If the water is six degrees, you're staying for six minutes. If it's eighteen degrees, stay right. for eighteen minutes. If it's two degrees, staying for two minutes. That's a re- that's I like that. Yeah, one. and then my other friend, he used to go to the Lido up at um, Hampstead Heath things, and she I think he met a woman who was swimming year round, and she used to do as many lengths as the temperature of the water. So. If it was a two degree day, yeah, yeah, she would yeah. do two lengths. Just if two it was lengths. six degrees, she would do six lengths. So it's so- somewhat similar because the length would take about a minute. Yeah, so when I just started doing it, and I can um, quickly open, uh, I don't need to show it. Anyone who wants to like, can look it up on my Instagram. So I started doing this w- with one other stunt guy, Tomas Paredes, um, Spanish guy. And I remember we went for like, did the five degrees. And for us, that was crazy. We just like, oh my God. And in Thames, when you have four degrees in like a bath, it's totally different when it's four or five degrees in in Thames or in the river, in open water. And I remember we got out. We're like, oh man, we did so good. Like, look, we did two, three minutes. And then we were just getting in the cars and about to leave. And we see these ladies just coming back from like no wets, it's nothing. And I'm like, how long guys were you in the water? And like, oh, about half an hour. I'm like. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet they don't get ill. Yeah, but they're yeah. like they've done this, and I was like, "How long you've been doing this?" Yeah, for yes. a couple of years. Yeah. That's what we do, and the kind yeah. of thing. Okay, so we just kind of straight away went talking about cold waters and therapies, but that's how the conversation sometimes goes. I would like to talk about a little bit of you, where you're from, uh, where you grew up, and a little bit of your kind of history. Okay, yeah. Um, so didn't grow up too far from here, London. Right. Oh, okay, so 40 minutes, but yeah. those who don't know, Bracknell is 40 minutes, 50 minutes away yeah, from London. So, yeah, born and raised in London. Mm. Um, Which side of London? Uh, North London. Oh, okay. So, yeah, kind of, uh, grew up kind of Wood Green, Tottenham area, like where Tottenham play football. Yeah. I then moved a little bit further north when I was quite young. Um, and then went to school, went to uni up in Manchester, um, then went travelling for a few years. Well, a few. Like what you, sorry, what did you do for uni in Manchester? Um, I did a degree in physics with astrophysics. In physics? Yeah. Those are supposed to be very smart people who've done physics. Yeah. What well, happened here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, well, I did all right, you know, my A-levels and my degree, thank you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you think you pursue your um, your like life and your career in physics? No, I no, because I, I don't do Not really with it now. But I, and I didn't really like all the experimentation stuff and all of that sort of stuff. But I was curious, and I was actually better probably at maths growing mm. up than I was physics. But I mm-hmm. felt that maths would have been 
I don't know, not interesting enough. Although on reflection, I think I would have preferred to do a maths degree because I, I, I do find maths actually quite beautiful. Whereas physics, what annoyed me was there was a lot of um, approximations, especially when it comes to astrophysics. There's mm. always these approximations that were being made, whereas maths is quite pure. What um, is approximation, sorry? So where you, you basically round things up or down, you, you make... Oh, you approximately. Make, yeah. Okay, you, so you, from word approximately. Know, so, yeah. And um, and I'm not sh- sure I really like that so much. And, you know, the maths got a bit kind of dumbed down or simplified. Um, but anyway, I did the degree, um, did very well in it and um, did nothing with it since then, really, mm. other than uh, it's a nice conversation piece, and it's sitting on my mantelpiece. But, mm. yeah, then went travelling for a couple of years. So I went to some of the places we were talking about before, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia. Uh, not Bali, but the rest of a uh, bit of Indonesia. I spent a year in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to New Zealand for a few months. Um yeah, then Central America, South Pacific. So I was gone for just over two years, about 25 months. Came back for a few months, then went and lived in Greece for six months in Crete, um, doing kind of um, a placement at a technical college there. I somehow, three years after graduating, was able to get my old university to sponsor me and pay for me to go to this mm. this thing in, in Greece. Um, came back, worked in a local pub, uh, the same pub I used to drink in when I was like 17, 18 <laughs> years old. What's the uh, name of the pub? Uh, Queen's Head. Shout out. Queen's Head. <laughs> yeah, Queen's Head uh, in Winchmore Hill. So I, I worked there for a bit. Then I worked in a law firm. Eventually, Straight from the pub. Yeah. Didn't feel the difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, was, I was, what was I doing? I was uh, a temp. At a law firm. Making drinks. <laughs> well, not for not for the not for the lawyers, although they probably needed it. And then, um, uh, yeah, worked there for about a year and a half. Then ended up working at the London Stock Exchange for a company called Accenture. So oh, quite wow. a big consulting company. And um, actually, you know how I got that job was a bit bizarre as well because I I bumped into a guy that I used to know quite well when I was in the Scouts. So I used to be in the Scouts for like... Of course you were. Yeah, from the age of about six, I was in like the Beavers, Cubs, <laughs> and then Scouts, and I was a leader. So from ba- basically six to 21... It would I'll, be funny if you would I'll say was, that you were in Beavers when you li- if you would live in Canada. I'm into uh, Beavers. Uh, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's still the same here, isn't it? Same, same connotations. Is it? I think so. Really? Yeah, Beavers. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it was yeah Beavers, Cubs, yeah Scouts, uh, Venture Scouts, Leaders, and uh, which was actually really really instructive, really formative mm. years. And um, anyway, I bumped into him on the train. He worked there, and uh, he put my CV in front of his boss. So I ended up like at Accenture uh, for three years and the Stock Exchange for six years. Th- three with the three with Accenture, three directly with the Stock Exchange. Left there. Went to work at Sainsbury's head office as a as a freelancer, as a contractor. But it was around this sort of time, which is when I made that transition. Uh, so out of the stock exchange, I left and I decided I started getting more into personal development, mindset, health, ideas that shifted my paradigm. And that was age of what? And what, what changed? So what that inspired was you to do those? In 2010. 2010. So, 11 years, years ago, ago yeah. I was, um, how old was I, I guess, 33, 32, 33. Um, 
and um, yeah, I would have been about thirty two, I guess, uh, thirty three. So uh, years before that, I'd I'd uh, picked up various books, and they like probably in two thousand and six, I, I read a book, and it mentioned uh, NLP. Mm. If you're familiar with NLP, neuro linguistic programming, programming, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I started getting into NLP, which for anyone watching or listening is is really just a, a set of tools to understand how we think in a way, mm. how how yeah, how we process things, if you like. And it's a uh, it's not really psychology, but it's it's kind of a, a set of mindset tools. And um, a lot of people have issues with NLP saying it's it's you know it can be manipulative, it can be this. But actually, I always say, look, it's it's like anything, right? Nothing is good or bad, right? So a knife is not good or bad. A knife could be used to cut, yeah, yeah, cut, yeah. Cut It's all about how you use it and basically. make a, yeah make amazing yeah. food, or it can be used to stab someone, right? So it's just a tool. And all it really was, in fact, NLP is they're observing things that were already happening with people. For mm-hmm. example. How, how do friends behave? Uh, and then they kind of codified it and said, okay, this is what we see, you know, mitch, uh, matching and mirroring, for example, where people who are in close relationships that might mirror each other's body mm. language. And then all they were doing was effectively labeling what was already being observed. Um, that's the essence of it. Uh, so I, I started getting into that. And then, you know, through the NLP staff, I learned about people like Tony Robbins as well. Um, and started getting into some of his audio programs, went on a couple the of The Giant Inside You. Was it uh, Wake the Giant? Awake, oh, Awake the Giant Within. Yeah, Awake uh, the yeah. Giant Within. So uh, the first book I read was Unlimited Power. Of mm. his, um, and, uh, and I started listening to a bunch of his audio programs. This was back in 2008, 2009. When Do you remember who was like, what was the reason when you got into this, in the books, uh, like self-development what would say a path yeah because i remember very vividly what was my first it was paulo coelho alchemist no i remember mine very vividly yeah how was it what happened so i had i think in 2005 i'd broken up with a a girl that i'd been seeing for about two years of course there's gonna be a girl yeah (laughs) and uh, a friend of mine who didn't actually read this book um gave me this book and the book was actually called the game Oh, I I read the book. It's by Strau- uh, Strauss. Strauss, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't really take any action on that from like a romantic relationship point of view. But in that book, it mentioned the word NLP, I think. Oh, yes, and, yes, yes, and, they did. And then from reading that, I started to kind of go down the rabbit hole of NLP, Tony Robbins and all that. So that's really what I got out of that book. So it didn't really help me from a, a relationship point of view. Yeah. But, but um, so that's what's got me started. And then... Um, you know, one of my sisters had also been on a personal development called called um, called ISA, the Institute for Self Actualization, and she did that I think in two thousand and six, and and then I did it in two thousand and seven. Actually, I think Tony Robbins did it um, as well when he was like in the, back in the eighties. I seem to remember. Anyway, so I did that, and that kind of festered in the background. And then when I got redundancy, so I got made redundant in two thousand and ten from the stock exchange, which was something that I was looking at doing anyway mm. um or wanting to get because they made my entire team redundant around 2010 during the aftermath of the financial crisis oh i remember that very well i moved away from latvia in 2009 where right. it was a mental uh, crisis and that's how i ended up in canada and then we met uh, around 2011 2012 
on uh, Toastmasters. And yeah. that's how far we're going back. We actually yeah, so met that, about 10 years ago. Yeah, so that was all part of the journey, right? So, like, I remember the reason I started Toastmasters was because I remember going to this event um, called the Yes Group. Mm. So the Yes Group I learned about through going on an NLP course. You know the course. film with the Jim Carrey, yeah, Yes Man? Yeah, it's not quite like that. Everyone <laughs> thinks like that. Did you guys end up naked there? <laughs> no, no. Um, but it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it actually, I think uh, the, the the word is an acronym. It stands for your excellence succeeds. I think it stands for. But um, it basically, I ended up at this thing called the Yes Group, which I was actually a member of for many years, and ended up becoming the leader of the Yes Group mm -hmm. um, a few years later, back in two thousand and seventeen. But um, so I met someone on an NLP course who said, "There's this thing called the Yes Group, and at the Yes Group, there's loads of speakers. Like it's you know it's great, right? We have like some really popular speakers." Was there a group called Maybe Group? Uh, maybe <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know about it. Sorry, it's I not, just, it's I not, just commi not, not committed enough. Um, and uh, and I anyway, one of the speakers there was saying, "Look, if you want to be a coach or whatever." And at that point, I was thinking after the NLP course, they were saying, "Oh, you know, when you coach your clients and stuff." And I was thinking to myself, "What clients? I mean, I'm not doing NLP to coach clients." But then it's got me into my head thinking, "Oh, maybe I should do something to do with coaching." Anyway, this speaker at the Yes Group said, "Well, if you're going to be a coach," Why speak one-to-one -one telling people what you do? You should speak on a stage because you can tell your story to many people right, right. and et cetera, et cetera. So that's what got me into Toastmasters because I was like, actually, you know, maybe I should learn to speak in public. And so Those who don't know what Toastmasters are, it's an um, unprofit um, uh, company, no, not company, organization, yeah. uh, which was started uh, in the United States with... Mm. Back uh, in the 1920s, yeah, 100 years ago. It was in, a, what was the name of the club? NYC something. It's Can't for remember. young, 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 youngsters. Uh, um, or YMCA. Yeah, YMCA. Maybe it was came out of that, I can't remember. Because uh, I, I looked into the history a while ago, and uh, basically the Toastmasters actually stand for what exactly it means. It was about learning how to give toasts nicely mm. you know properly because back in the days it was a big deal to give a toast and even now um also one of the reasons why people start doing toastmaster uh i remember we had a lot of people who like oh i have best man speech that's it yeah, yeah. those are people that wait till six weeks before they've got to give a speech there you go and then they come yeah. and then they do their speech and they never come back <laughs> exactly right you know or, oh. they, or they sometimes they get a promotion and they and they and they want to get you know be better and yeah, yeah all of yeah, that yeah. and actually one of the things i do now is um teach public speaking in school oh nice nice 14 and 15 that's, year olds that's yeah, very rewarding and I, and I always tell them look you don't want to wait till six weeks before you give a best man speech before mm. you start learning this learn it at 14 15 carry on and then by the time you doing your best man speech or you get your promotion or you you start your business you're going to have those skills mm. because Number one fear out there is fear of public speaking. Right? That's one of the biggest ones. I think it's the biggest one, according to a lot of research. Yeah, even, yeah, bigger, it is. even bigger than number two, which is death. Yeah, and I always say right. to the kids, I go, when you think about that, and I think I got this from Jerry Seinfeld, it was like, you know, the person, if you think about a funeral, the person giving the eulogy, right, the speech at the funeral, would rather be in the coffin than do the speech, right? They're more afraid of being... Of doing the speech than they are do of being in the coffin it makes no sense, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I heard that one before, and you're right. Uh, the public speaking is the, the the something what people are the most afraid of. Actually, funny enough, this question was discussed in our uh, on my second podcast, which is. Uh, 
20 podcasts away, basically. Yeah, because uh, it was me and Chris, who is stand-up comedy guy, and he did uh, Toastmasters for years. He was actually president of Toastmasters Club in Bali. And then his current girlfriend, and they're expecting a baby now. Woo, congrats, guys. Uh, she's also Toastmasters, and, and, and that's why we're talking about Toastmasters, the history mm. and all that. And, uh, yeah, it's number one, fear. And the one th- interesting fact, one of the best... Um, uh, uh, public speakers um, in the world, you see like CEOs of different companies, presidents and all that, that was the number fear for them as well. Mm. And then, the, but they kind of faced it and they went for it and, and they became the best speakers. Well, I mean, look at Warren Buffett, who is one of the richest men in the world, mm. the Sage of Omaha, 90 years old, worth 100 billion now. Bill Gates is mentor. Um, whatever you think of Bill Gates, irrelevant. But like when he's in his office, Warren Buffett, he went to like Wharton school. So it's like one of the top Ivy League schools in the country. Mm. He doesn't have a certificate from Wharton on his, on his, ta- on his wall. He's got his uh, certificate of public speaking from the Dale Carnegie public speaking course, which yeah. is Dale Carnegie is the guy that wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah, uh, I've read that book. Great Amazing book. book. Yeah. yeah, right. One of the top books. Uh, and he's got a, his public speaking certificate because he was like, this has been really responsible for m- a lot of my success. And mm. it's so important, more so than the, the degree from Wharton. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for anyone listening out there, like, I would say, look, most people are going to be afraid of public speaking. I'd say the club that we belong to, 95% of people that join Toastmasters are afraid of public speaking. 5% are probably not afraid. I think, like, you and I were probably not in that afraid category mm. but we just wanted to get learn better, and better understand at, how it yeah, works properly better yeah. at our skills but 95 percent of people are afraid yeah yeah because things like and you know quickly just to go through the first thing what you need to do you do 10 speeches which is the uh, um communicator what was that c c Com- competent competent communicator yeah. yeah and then so like one of the first first one was the icebreaker but then second one a third goes um uh, body language eye contact uh, stage presence and things yeah, like props. things like even if you look and that's like for a stand-up comedian it works so well and uh, when you do the eye contact you do the zigzag system which uh, they, they mm. were teaching in the Toastmasters instead of like locking eyes on one person in front you look there you look there and all these kind of things I would not know them about yeah. also moving from one stage for yeah, the side sta- to the stage other. anchoring all that kind of um, stuff is really and you get really loads good. of great feedback in, in Toastmasters yeah. they they and you learn how to speak by giving the feedback as well. So even if you're not doing a speech, you still got to be speaking because you're going to be yeah. delivering feedback. Or, or so for those role. again who want to look into uh, to- Toastmasters, I think you just go to Toastmasters.org. Yeah, and just find it out. But like you always going to do something. If you're not doing speech, you're going to evaluate. If you're not evaluating, you're going to be a grammarian. Yeah, uh, timekeeper. You're going to be timekeeper. You can do all those things, and you're always going to have a chance to get in front of people and just saying, oh, so we had speakers who spent this much of time on the stage you know someone went overtime whatever um grammarian i like grammarians they always would have to come up with the day, word of the day yeah oh god all the yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it was great i mean i, I actually probably want to get back into it because yeah. i think what it helped me do a lot is each time you deliver a speech was to kind of work on like a five to seven minute story yeah and at the moment because i do a lot of speaking but i speak as you know, mainly about health and well-being. And I've got, like, you get into this kind of set pattern, the set mm. routine, and I need to develop more storytelling yeah. into my speeches and uh, into my delivery of my talks. And I think Toastmasters really helps with thinking about, oh, you know, that time when I was... The, you know, it gets you to think about right, stories right, right. and deliver them. So I actually do 
when I get settled with where I'm going to be and stuff, like when I get back into mm. to join. I think club. one of the biggest minuses, so I will tell the reason why I stopped doing Toastmasters. You can tell uh, why you think maybe always not going to be pluses only. There's some things what you maybe were not very happy about Toastmasters. The main thing for me, the feedback would be always super positive. So even when I know as an advanced speaker, I would go and, and I know that I didn't perform very well. Very rarely I would have an honest uh honest kind of a comment saying renars you messed up on this you messed up on that most of the time it's just going to be well renars was just the best <laughs> well they do the crc right isn't yeah so commend recommend commend yeah. I, i've got actually on my website how to give feedback and i got a slightly different one which is good go great so i would like give a bit of good feedback mm. then go which is the go part it stands for growth opportunities so i'd say so where i would say I, I'm really, when I give feedback to the kids and I tell them how to give feedback, I'm really a bit anal about how I ask them to deliver it because I do ask them to deliver even the growth opportunities in a positive framework. So rather than say, okay, Renaz, you know, I, I, I like your speech, great content, but, you know, you didn't speak loudly enough so we mm. couldn't hear you. I would say, rather than say it like that, I would say, you know, great speech, loves your content, and next time, to really engage the whole room, if yeah. you spoke up and really projected your voice, it would make it more impactful. And then I finish with something great. So good, go, great. And so you do want to, I always say you want about 80% of it to be positive. You want 20% of it to be the the growth stuff. Mm. Because the thing is, if you if you kind of say five, six things that that person could do better, they're never going to do it. Right? Yeah. You just want to say one or two things. But you also want to say it in a way that makes them want to do it rather than, you know, okay, it's, you know, rubbish. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, no. all they'll come away with is that rubbish thing. I totally agree. And and uh, to be honest, like, I can say this just because I was Toastmaster for, like, about 10 years. And I think I just wanted more challenge. Yeah. I wanted more challenge. And, like, stand-up, that's what is yeah. when you get on the stage and you bomb and you're like, oh, yeah. shit. Okay, and a lot I'm of the other exactly participants are quite new, so they feel intimidated to give exactly. their opinion about an accomplished speaker. Yeah, but for those who would like to get in a public speaking, it's definitely one uh, beginning, 100% for yeah. Toastmasters. It doesn't cost you much. It's, like, 70, 80 pounds a year or something. Yeah, it wasn't And then much. you meet it, the networking. Look at this. Me and Harry, that's how yeah. we met. Yeah, yeah. And we, we stayed in contact and touch for a long, lot, many years. Yeah. Um, well, so one of my best friends at the moment, I don't know if you remember Joe, Joe Lake. He used to play tennis. I'm not sure if he was there when you were there or not, but he and I are really good friends now and we, um, we hang out all the time and he's through Toastmasters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had two favorite guys, the both bold guys. We had one was oh, Glenn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Glenn and Henry. <laughs> and Henry, Henry was my best. Like he was always wearing these sexy scarves and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this is our first segment, and we're gonna be back in just a minute. What I want to ask you: How is it to deal with the youngsters? What is the age you're dealing with, by the way? Well, for that workshop, fourteen, fifteen. Lift it up, just a little so, bit so it's not in your chest. No, yeah, no, no, like, oh, like that. There yeah, we go. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for that, that age group, it's 14, 15, so year 10. That's quite um, a tough age, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I like doing it is because I feel like if you've got them as an audience and mm. you can hold them, mm. all other audiences are going to be better. Right. Um, I also do some work with, like, sort of the year sevens and eights, which are also interesting, but not public speaking on, on something else. Um, but, yeah, anything... If you're presenting in front of kids, going into schools, that's the hardest. Mm. So that's kind of why I started it, because I thought... 
you know if you get get those guys to listen to you yeah, yeah. I, can, i can imagine it's very challenging how do you relate to them these are what are your ways yeah i'm i think i do quite a good job because i'm quite youthful mm. even though i'm not that young anymore by the way so those who don't know harry is 44 years old he well, in two weeks yeah yeah it's on your instagram is it she said 44 yeah it did <laughs> yeah it did look look i yeah. need to, i definitely need to discuss this There photo go. it's because, so good because basically i'm greek my, and so what what we say is when you're 43 you're 44 because you're in your 44th year my But favorite photo is there with a hat the hat oh yeah that was when i was in santorini when i was living in crete <laughs> actually and uh, i was going up a volcano So I mean this this picture needs context really. Oh my god, who is this guy? Yeah, that was me at 14. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this one is like I don't care. That was me <laughs> moody 16-year-old. That's oh wow. Well, and that's the ones you're dealing with now and uh, Yeah, but the thing is I can relate to them because I remember what it's like to be there because I've mm. I kind of kept a semi journal since I was 10. And so I've got kind of my thoughts on paper. How do you start the dear diary today? No, uh, <laughs> not quite. But it's somewhat like. But I, I mean, I, I might write in it once or twice, and then not write in it for like three years or four years. But there was a mm. lot of entries, you know. In that, do age. you have like a physical paper yeah, journal? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is back in the 90s, right? Oh, okay. So, um, Floppy disk. But I've got it, like I think the most time, recent time I wrote in it was probably about a year or two ago um and it's like three or four books now but mm. but i've got lots of entries from 14 15 17 that kind of age range so i know what it was like to be that age and mm. um and so i can relate to them quite a yeah, lot yeah, and, yeah. and also i'm just honest with a lot of stuff and um and what is that do they have the name of the subject is a public speaking is this a subject is uh, it something what they can choose or they yeah. have to get the credits or how no, does it work so it's um So I work for this charity when I do this, and basically this really rich dude mm. um, sponsors every school in London and Essex. Because he has a name, that rich dude. A guy called Jack Petchy. So Jack Petchy, good job, man. He's in his 90s, and he's oh, wow. born in the East End of London. I think he's worth like 900 million pounds, right? But, so he sponsors a lot of events like drama, uh, you know, arts, whatever. That's awesome. Uh, and one of them is public speaking. Mm. And so he he gives the money to the charity, and we work for the charity. And yeah, so so every school in London and Essex can get at least one workshop. And if they want more for their students, they do it at a really cheap rate. So it, it's, it's very structured. We take them for a whole process, get their confidence up, um, and then they can choose any topic that they want, and they talk about it for one minute at the end of the day to their class of uh, the other thirty kids or whatever. So I just mean, one minute. I, I normally give like a minute, minute and a half. Yeah, but to be honest, like a lot of people will struggle for 30 seconds. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, uh, eventually they get to two or three minutes if they get through the rounds and then there's a big competition and then there's mm. like a, a final and someone wins. But it's, it's only like three minutes, I think, the, the final speech. Does it s sound for you weird sometimes to hear that people struggle with public speaking knowing that you were well i know for sure me i never had a struggle with that i just you can't shut me up i was yeah. always the, the one who spoke in a class and without but most people aren't like that like that that, that's for me thing. it's so difficult sometimes to comprehend that we are just so mm. different yeah i i i get it i get it a lot because i see it a lot and mm. and i've saw it a lot with toastmasters but even more so now with with the yeah. public speaking thing because Yeah, most people struggle in that class. And for teenagers, it's especially it's very well, severe. It's so I mean, different. Even, even they now, don't throw so many things. Now I think it's it's even worse because yeah. I always say like they they got their heads buried 
right? And adults as well, a lot of the time, right? People don't look up, they don't look eye contact, yeah. they don't know how to converse. How often do you have kids staring at their phones? Or there's a rule that no, you no, have to turn the phones off? They don't usually have... Uh, different schools have different policies, mm. but almost every... I think every single school I've been in, they've never pulled out a phone oh, okay. in the workshop. Uh, occasionally they might ask, like for the research, I normally say make up the research because you're not going to have time to research I don't know how many kids die from road traffic accidents in a year, whatever. Yeah, I yeah. Say. Whether it's 4,000, 40,000, 400,000, doesn't matter. Just say whatever you want to say. If you get through, then you can do the research. So they might ask, oh, can I get my phone out to do that? And I'll just say no. Because I, A, I don't want them to waste time. Yeah. And B, I don't for sure know they're going to be using their phone to do that. For that, uh, that And I reason. don't want to kind of like do a whole domino effect and get other people with their phones. I can relate a little bit to to you. Obviously, I'm not in that level of uh, done speeches in front of youngsters and teenagers. But back in Latvia, I have this tiny school uh, where I, uh, the town where I was raised, it's like 6,000 people town and like quite small school. And I have still very good relationships with my English teacher. And uh, every time I would go back to uh, visit my mom, um, so I started, it was my initiative that I would like to, so when I went to Canada and then I came back, I just wanted to go to the school and talk to kids, saying no matter where you're from, you all have chances, travel the world, and, you know, see things like that. It was quite, like, I came from a point of view that when I was their age, I wished there would be someone and would Mm. talk to me about those things. Yeah. And funny enough, in about six years, uh, that grew from one uh, group of like small uh, small group of uh, kids. I had like the full, like almost the entire school was gathered so that I would do the speech thing. Oh, cool. But what I struggled with and that the initial, initial idea was that I was speaking English so that um, um, I would try to connect with people who think that they're English, they don't really need it, but it kind of inspired them. That's a language you need to study because it was with my English teacher uh, promoting that you need English language as a third language. In Latvia, that's the third language. Yeah, Most of us, Latvian one? Russian. Yeah. Most of the kids, maybe y- younger generation, not that more, that not that much anymore. And um, and I, yeah, I realized that so many people, so many of these young kids would be just staring at their phones, and and I would be talking about things like what you're gonna do about your future, and like career wise. And I, I still remember this uh, this one girl. Um, so there were these kind of years just before they're graduating and I remember I would ask like what are you going to do what is your choice and I was like oh I'm going to be a biologist I'm going to study in this university good because you like uh, you know biology and you love uh, studying about animals and plants and they're like yeah and then this one girl is like so what are you going to study and she's like I'm going to study psychology I was like oh you love talking to people you love you're a good listener and she's like like what are you talking about I was like yeah but that's what psychologists do and she's like, oh, no, I'm just moving there because my boyfriend lives in that town. And I was like, wow. And I would mm. see, like, she's staring at her phone and, and the boyfriend, topless boyfriend is on a screenshot or whatever. And I'm like, and that's that's th- that was the, my challenge to get to those kids and say, listen, like, you know, there's more in this life than just a boyfriend. And you're going to probably, you know, how yeah. they make make those decisions about going somewhere and then, and then kind of wasting I mean, their time and lives. It's and hard. I mean, I think all you can do is share your experiences mm. a lot of the time and hope because one of the phrases i love is um the original was I'm a man but let's rephrase it to a person so a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still all right so a man convinced against their will is of the same opinion still so if you fo- force someone to have an opinion right they might agree with you just to get you off your back but they're still but it's think not their opinion and That's they still think the same right yeah and so you know and this can go for so many things that we're 
right where in right now in the world um but when it comes to that you know at the end of the day you can't control what anyone does right mm. you can only control two things in life right that's your attitude and your actions and you might think especially if you're a parent oh you can control your kids you can't control your kids Mm-mm. right you think you, you can, can guide them you can point them the direction because yeah, ultimately stuff. the decisions are going to be theirs to yeah. make right and this is what we're seeing here is that you know no one is technically forcing us to do the things that we've had to do in the last 18 months but you know now through methods of whatever um they're kind of getting us to do it but we're doing it mm. we're, we're, we're making those decisions really because you can't really get anyone to do anything right you can influence you can persuade now you can coerce and blackmail it seems but (laughs) um but you can't like ultimately people have to do it unless you're literally held down at gunpoint or whatever um so the point i'm trying to make is that like with the kids they're gonna work things out for themselves right you've got to try and teach them in different ways because Mm. people are going to learn differently so that they can then think, oh, you know, okay, this is useful. You know, and I normally say to people, look, I know most of you aren't going to want to be public speakers, but it's not about public speaking. One, it's about confidence, but two, it's also if you, if those people that can speak well in public on average, you're going to earn about 70% more income than the person doing the same job next to you. Really? Well, if you think about it, it doesn't matter. Like I always say, look, let's say you go to a hairdresser's or a barber's and one is, you know, really good at communicating and public speaking. Yeah. The other's not, right? Now, often in a barber's, they often hire the chair and they have to, you know, pay. But if you're really good with your customer, A, you've got to understand what they want. You've got to communicate the kind mm. of haircut. And I normally say to people, hands up if you've ever gone to a barber's and or a hairdresser's and you've told them what you want and you've come out and it doesn't look anything like what you mm. what you wanted. Did you go back to that barber's or hairdresser's? Did you recommend oh, that That's person? a good point. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And then if they're really good, they might recommend like the products, right? You might get a tip. You might be able to sell them shampoos or hair gels mm. or whatever. And, and so you want that because then you're going to earn more money. So, you know, if you're any job, if you're a doctor and you can communicate well, you'll probably get invited to speak at conferences and, you know, things like that, right? My A friend of mine who's kind of the co-author of my second book, he works in health and safety, but he's like really good communicators. He, he's like the MC and the chairman of various conferences. So then he's on stage. So then he can command a lot for his fees when he goes in to talk about health and safety. You know, so it doesn't matter what you want to do in life. You're going to earn more money if you can communicate well. If you just hide behind your computer and computer games and scream, Right, you might be the best accountant, accountant in the world, but no one's going to really know about it, or you're not going to be able to communicate mm. the best accounting ideas to people. And then they, gonna, if they don't understand it, they'll just bugger off and go to another. So the basically, there's a lot of advantages. There's a lot of good things in yeah. communicating, but with anyone, yeah. with your family members, yeah. with your with your kids, with your spouses, yeah. with so communication go, goes very far, hundred percent. And someone yeah, who considers to be in, in sales, <laughs> yeah. So we were talking about public speaking yeah. and everything. And now I want to talk about when did you actually started having this as your business as mm. a public speaker? So this is video. Is this the like up to date? Yeah, this is like, a mix. It's like mix. a compilation. Yeah, everything. it's a compilation. It video, starts very loud with the crazy music this is the music that i used to come on stage this is actually the yes group that i'm speaking at all oh, right um, yeah, everyone is clapping this, i think this was bef- yeah this was at an event you guys are up for having a fantastic day say so, yes but i already know you are but 
let's just warm up the vocal cords as well. So are you guys up for having a fantastic day today? Yes. Say yes. yes. Um, my name's Harry Kalimnios, and I help people just like you become superhuman. And I believe that there's a superhero. Look at you. I love those shirts you have. Mm. I mean, yeah. They're, they're the nice. I like, I've got about six or seven of them. Then kind of 10x that. Because I believe, like I said, that there's I get them from a place in Barcelona, actually. Oh, there you go. Every one of us, and that sometimes we just need this to. This back when I had a bit of facial that. hair. Bit more facial the hair. leader of today, I think, needs to transform. People think of leadership. TEDx. Mm. Tell me about TEDx. How many TEDx speeches have you done? That was the one, the, the, the early one, and it's interesting. A lot of people say to me, "Oh, how did you get a TEDx speech?" And I'm like, "Pretty simple, really. I went onto the TED website. I looked mm -hmm. up all the TEDxes in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked up ones that I could that were in the next six months or next year that I could potentially travel to. I wrote to about twenty-five of them. Oh wow! I got maybe like hardly any response whether the same all the 25 were the same letters just copy paste you didn't mm. it wasn't like the, you no they'd be slightly different because they would have a different theme oh different themes the, the oh thing. right so i'd you know and then you have to put, yeah and some like this one for example actually was a bit funny because this one wanted me to um write the speech out uh, as part of the application and i don't normally write entire oh, speeches wow. yeah um like literally give you it's like if you're a stand-up comedian they want to see all your jokes yeah, the whole script and i was like wow. okay so i did a thing and, and their, their theme was serendipity actually all oh, right and and so the whole thing was about so i was talking about really how i got into this world of talking and health and fitness and everything and well-being and how the whole speech was about you know i went to this nlp course uh, a free nlp day and i was debating whether i paid the four thousand pound to do the nlp course and then there was a few things that, that like transpired. One, they showed like a, and we talked about what my favorite movie was when you texted me, but they showed the clip. Um, yeah, it was Rocky. Yeah, so they hey. showed a clip from, I think it was Rocky Balboa. You know where he's talking to his son? He's yeah. going, you know. It's not about how yeah, you get hit. Yeah. It's about what, so, how you get So I get think they showed that. And then they also showed, uh, and, and I was like, okay. So, and obviously Rocky being so influential for me as a kid, I was like, okay, right. So that's clearing me to And then the other thing that swayed me is that in 2010, which is when this was, I was going to cycle from London to Paris with a bunch of people I didn't know. Oh, but right. just this is a whole other story that's gone on for 10 years now. Um, but anyway, I was going to do it for a charity. And then I didn't know who I could raise money for. And we were we were going to arrive in Paris, I think, on the twentieth or twenty first of September. And he showed on the NLP course a video about uh, this charity called Peace One Day, and a guy called Jeremy Gilly, I think his name was, who started this charity. And he basically wanted like all these different countries that maybe war in and stuff to have one dedicated day of peace, hmm. where there's an amnesty for a day, so you can get medicines through and whatever else. And I think that was going to be the 20th or 21st of September each year. I think it's the same each year. So I was like, oh, that works out perfectly, because I'm going to arrive in Paris that day. I can raise money for the Peace One Day charity. And, and so all of this was like, you know, led me to the NLP. And then the NLP, so I decided to do the NLP course. Then hmm. going on the NLP course, I met someone uh, at the Yes Group, and then I started to join the Yes Group. That then led me to um, uh, an event by Joseph McClendon, who is Tony Robbins's head trainer. That led me down the, to a book. That led me down to the health and fitness world. That led me to another event, which is where I met uh, my then girlfriend, uh, like who was quite influential on me. 
And so it was all about that. And then at the end of that speech, I talk about this, the, the, the framework I have for healthy living. But then they wanted actually the, the whole speech to be about that. So that's what the, that speech ends up being about. And it wasn't about the, the path getting to there. Um, but that was the whole serendipity bit. It's like, because I can trace back now, like 10, 12 years, like, like I said, the book led to these things, led mm. to this, led to that. And I can kind of see those those wow. things. Um, it's quite, quite journey, clearly. and you can kind of see it yeah, where very it clearly. Yeah. yeah, very clearly. Yeah, that's it's really, really cool. You know. um, okay, so going back to TEDx, uh, for those who don't know what TEDx is, like I would, you know, if you Google just like uh, certain subjects, uh, what is this? What is that? Very often, it's going to go to YouTube and TEDx, so they explain certain things. Um, so you said this, I didn't really know that, uh, that there's uh, themes for TEDx, uh, a lot of time, they yeah. call them TEDx days or what, how would they so event? Like, so TEDx, TEDx is different. It's, it's, it's like, think of it like TED, there's an event called TED, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I think TED stands for technology, entertainment design, which has been around for a long, long time, but they started putting their videos on YouTube back in 2006 or seven. Right. Where they would be talking about technology and uh, development. Well, and it's... Uh, it's uh, lots of things now, right? There's now it's, a, yeah, but but originally back it started then with I, that. Well, I don't know really what, mm. the, but um, anyway, so these events, like the, the actual TED happens once a year, then I think there's a TED Global and a TED med, med, Medical or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it costs like £4,000 to attend as, as, a, as a participant. And there, there's usually like high level, like people at the top of their game speak at these wow. TED events. Anyway, they have these things called TEDxes, which are independently organized but affiliated to TED. So they can use the brand in. There's very specific rules about how you go about it, but there's not the same oversight, as it were, uh, from the original TED. But then you do the speech, and as long as it meets the guidelines, it goes onto their TEDx YouTube channel. Mm. And if it blows up there, then it might go onto the main TED channel or the main TED website. Oh, okay. Um, so they're kind of so TEDx is independently organized. But but it still follows that same thing, and and you get a lot of like for example, a lot of people have seen si- Simon Sinek start with why he's a kind of massive sensation when it comes to like leadership. Mm-hmm. But um, his first speech uh, was on a TEDx stage, right? So um, you know, I'm still waiting for my one to hit millions of views so I can yeah, get invited. Yeah, yeah. So so go watch it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the te- yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that this podcast is going to help you to get a millions <laughs> of views. <laughs> You never know, right? You never know. You never. Yeah, I always true. say it doesn't matter how many people watch or listen to it because it could be that only five people listen or watch your video. But if one of those people ends yeah. up being Oprah Winfrey, exactly, then Ooh. then yeah, you know, or maybe Joe Rogan. But at the same you know, time, it, like for me as well, like doing this podcast is not about you know even if it can change someone's opinion, one person, two people, it's it doesn't it. matter. It's yeah, worth it. It's exactly. worth it, and that's why I say with my YouTube, I've been doing YouTube videos for like ten years now, and. You know, I'm always getting messages from people saying, you know, even the other day, someone was like, oh, I love that yoga mat. Well, can I buy it or buy this rebounder or whatever? And yeah, it's inspirational. I think when you hear from these people that, uh, you know, you're changing, even though you might only have like 50 views or 100 views or or whatever. So 100%, 100%. Okay, Ted, uh, this speech, how long ago was it? Uh, I did that in 2016. Something that only the few attain. Top CEOs, premiership football coaches, military generals. My philosophy is this. Okay, so that w- that was the only excerpt you had from there. Uh, no, it more? kind of cu- cuts in and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this uh, this one here was at an HR conference that I was doing. If you want to lead other people, but it's all the same speech. The first oh, okay. Um, well, 
there's all different speeches, but it's all about the same idea, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the overarching health philosophy that I developed. Yeah. And then do you think it would be a good idea now to talk about your book? It kind of leads to that. Well, yeah, I mean... The Thought Gym. The Thought Gym is my first book. Yeah. Um, and so actually, again, it kind of comes back to this idea where I said... Seven ninety nine on eBay. Oh wow, God uh, on eBay, right? Oh, it should be about fifteen pounds on the uh, on on Amazon. On Amazon, so, right? So there we go. Um, but if you can get it for seven ninety nine, I don't know because I I think uh, Amazon. You take gave a lot. me that book originally. I, I think I? whether you gave me or you gave me the link where I could download it for free because mm. I read it. Oh right. Yeah, because I read it. Like um, I, I remember, I, I just was re- uh, rereading the. Um, uh, the summary, I okay. think, on uh, on uh, Amazon, and I was like, yeah, I remember. Like one of the biggest things I remember, which I'm being horrible with, when you eat, you concentrate on eating, or yeah. like you don't watch a TV, you don't yeah. do. Which I always, since I was a kid, my family was the worst. Like my dad would be sitting in the living room watching TV and mm. stuffing his face. And I remember when I that concept came from your book, and I was like, really? Oh, is that how you have it, to live? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not how you have to live. No, but no, it's, it's, but it's it's an option. And um, and it's really hard when you're single, I think, and you're because you want to d- be distracted sometimes when you're yeah, watching yeah. things. So, I al- I always watch something yeah. while listening to something. So this book came about really because a bit like the Toastmasters thing. I went and I saw this guy on stage, and he said, "Look, if you want to be a coach, right, you know, speak on stage because you get more people." Have a book because you'll add credibility. You get to kind of share your ideas. You get to have people learn from you without you having to physically be there. And then I'd learned a lot of things from NLP. So this book was all... The idea behind this book, because I knew I wanted to do about health and fitness, is that a lot of people, when they try and get fit or healthy, right? You know, 1st of January, right, I'm going to do this. And then Mm. by like the 10th of January, it's game over. They've kind of quit. And the reason is most people are always trying to address a behavior that they're doing, like the smoking, the drinking, whatever it is without trying to first address the mindset that drives the behavior. Right. So that's why they co- go in these repetitive patterns over and over. So They the don't go to the cars, which is No, like exactly. So they're not, you know, this is you know, the world all over, to be honest. Um, but we, we want quick fixes. We, we kind of, uh, we, we don't really understand the root of the problem. We try and solve it. Yeah, we want to cut the corners. Yeah, well, that's exactly. That's typical... So this book was really, takes you through different chapters, which is like, firstly have a big enough why so it goes through for an exercise telling you you know let's say you say oh you know i want to get into shape it's like okay why oh well because society's telling me well that's not going to be a compelling reason right no. that's not going to get you out of bed at four or five or six in the morning on a dark october night to go for a run or whatever it is so firstly you've got to create that that incentive in that person as to why is it so important right like my dad didn't give up cigarettes when he ironically enough when he almost burnt us down in the house which is interesting but he did end up giving up cigarettes when he ended up having a triple heart bypass without any resistance to it because it was important enough for him whether you're gonna die or you live yeah you know so it goes through that it talks about things like values and beliefs so like for example if you believe which many people believe let's say healthy eating is boring or tasteless or time consuming or um expensive if that's a fundamental belief you have, no matter with all your will in the world and willpower doesn't last, but if you, you know, you're not going to really do it or if you feel like you're missing out, if you believe you will be missing out by eating healthily or, you know, whatever, you're not going to do it. If you believe that smoking on some fundamental level, really unconscious level is cool, 
Like, mm. Because let's say, like, when you were at school, certainly was with me, all the cool kids used to hang out by the shops having a cigarette. Um, pictures of James Dean, Marlon Brando, you know. For me, was I was working as a DJ, and my um, old, older guy, who was the main DJ guy, at the beginning, uh, he would always smoke. And I just thought, this is cool. This yeah, is what cool kids do. Yeah, it just looks cool, right? You look yeah. at that picture of James Dean with his cigarette, you know, the mm. famous one with his cigarette. I often think they should do a marketing campaign and just have like an asparagus. Like, you know, yeah. use Photoshop and put an asparagus instead of the cigarette yeah. to kind of get veg or a carrot to get vegetables. Yeah, because I, I was also thinking about the idea. Can you imagine instead of cigarettes, we would have like these little carrots. I, I, you go outside and you have a little carrot each and you just eat it. But, but then you'll be like, why would we go outside? So then you lose that social thing what people have and they yeah. and there's so much like just the socializing concept of it you know who are the smokers they go outside they have a little chat behind bosses backs and they have yeah. this camaraderie well, this is the thing is like you, uh, did you ever used to watch friends yeah uh, dude i'm still yeah so sorry. you'll probably remember the episode where jennifer anderson takes up smoking because she yeah she wants to get in with the yeah, business exactly of, and uh, the same thing happens with me at the stock exchange right like the people that used to smoke used to get the better projects and yeah things like that because there would be that connection and i i do say to people look firstly not you shouldn't have just the smokers having those breaks right you should go out for your two minute air break yeah and just you know w when people are smoking they go oh, it relaxes me um, well, what are they doing when they're doing that? They're going, and they're taking a. If they right? would do without, but smoke, if they do it without the smoke, right? Or take one of those old biro pens and have the pen out of it and just pretend you're like, you know, yeah. pulling in air. You know, you're getting the same sort of benefit, right? Because it's not the smoking necessarily uh, for a lot of people, and so the idea is, yeah. So if you have that as a belief, right, you're not going to get ahead in work if you don't smoke. Mm. Then you're not going to really change. Mm -mm. Um, if things like you value in life are more important, like, like I don't know, let's say, well, for example, what wh what people value now is a lot of the time other other people's opinions. So let's not we're not going to go too far down the rabbit hole of what's going on with uh, with the current health epidemic but the way they're trying to encourage people to do what they want them to do mm. is is almost through social pressure yep. shaming whatever it is because we value our friends opinions we value our family's thoughts right we don't want to be ostracized from society so we want to we want to be part of a tribe part of a very tribe, tribal right? yep. so if you value that over and above say your own intuition or your own health or whatever it is whatever your belief is then you're not going to change right so mm. if you if you value going to like all your friends are pub drinkers and you value their friendships yeah but you might also value your health but you value their friendships more than your health you're probably going to still go to the pub you might probably still drink and stuff like that so um so yeah your values are really important your beliefs are really important but the other thing it talks about in the book is your identity so who you see yourself as a person so if you see yourself as someone that is a a person that used to smoke then there's always going to be that kind of pull back towards it whereas my dad for example he doesn't consider himself like that it's just like he's just like a non-smoker right so there's never that mm. like, like or ex-drinker or ex-smoker or whatever if you if you see yourself as someone that is always not quite going to make the mark then if that's how you identify yourself then you'll probably never just quite make the mark yeah so you know, if you see yourself as being like a beacon of light for the world or uh, a healthy example for other people, then it doesn't matter how drunk you get or whatever, you're probably never going to smoke or you're probably never going to do, you know, because mm. that's not in line with your identity as a person. So in the book, it goes through all of those ideas and using some techniques from NLP to help make changes. Because um, the idea is 
first you it says on the book there train the mind and the body will follow if you if you train the mind then the body will follow or train the mind and the rest will follow and once you do that so that was the purpose of the first book is to kind of highlight some of these ideas that i learned from nlp from other other areas and using those to help people to make changes so that they can actually make the actual downstream changes that they wanted rather than every year you go through the same patterns over and over. And How over. long it's been now since it's been released? Uh, that was, uh, I mean, I'm not great with promotions. That was 2013. So I, I don't do a great job with promoting it, unfortunately. But um, And since then, how, how many kind of uh, people got out and got in touch with you and saying, like, giving you a feedback? And um, I mean, I, I, I've often got people, like, sometimes years later, be like you saying, oh, you know, I read that and that really resonated with me and... And so you you get the occasional, but I'm not like some best-selling author mm. where it sold millions of copies. But so. listen, it's such an achievement to release a book. Well, yeah, know? I mean that was uh, that was a big achievement, and I actually wrote that book. I mean, um, I wrote that book in well, it took six months, but it was like four or five months of planning, and then four or five months of um, of editing and rewriting. Mm. I say writing a book's easy. It's the rewriting and the publishing and the editing and all that is hard. But actually the bulk of that book was almost like a, a, a cosmic download in about two weeks. Right. Where I wrote right. the majority. But I did all the planning. So I knew what was going to happen for about three or four months. And then I did all the editing for another four or five months. But the actual bulk of the pen to paper, as it were, was in two weeks, unbelievably. Before we go to the next segment, can we um, talk about the second book you were uh, co-writing? Mm-hmm. You were the uh, co-creator. Yeah. Um, what is the title of it? Um, it's not going to be on Amazon. So if you go to my website. to you. Okay, here we go. After hours and hours of searching, we finally found it. <laughs> Working well. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this book I wrote with uh, Professor Andrew Sharman, who I actually saw uh, speaking at a well-being event, and I went up to him and chatted to him, and then, you know, we had similar views on a few things. So he's the guy, actually, who's uh, quite big in the health and safety world, but, you know, a lot of the health and safety world is more safety rather than health mm. and well-being, as it were. So, um, so it worked quite well. Um, and what I like about this book, or what I resisted originally because I was like, oh, it's going to be a super thin book. And, and actually, a lot of people love this book because it's way smaller than even the Thought Gym. It's only 112 pages and it's got nice graphics inside, very kind of pop culture kind of references. And it's it's based on a simple framework and, and, and you know, can literally fit in your back pocket. So a lot of people love this book. Uh, which is going to be in stark contrast to the third book that I'm writing, which I've been writing for. About oh wow! Six, I've been writing it for about six years, and it's just going to be you. Yeah, just me. But it's 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 my whole health philosophy. So it's going to be very big. It's going to be almost like Tools of Titans kind of size book, like from Tim Ferriss or Four Hour Work Week. It's going to be quite big. So I know not a lot of people will read it, but I wanted a book that is going to be almost everything I know mm. that if I got hit by a bus at least someone has got one reference bible that can tell them pretty much everything they need to know about health and well-being in a really simple framework but this is effectively taking a few concepts from my overarching philosophy and then distilling it down into really accessible form for the average person to to read um and so yeah so I'm actually really proud of that book it was uh, it's a really awesome really, when was really that uh, released that was in 2018 yeah, oh, so it's still not on Amazon for some reason. I think, I, but um, yeah, and then the last one is a, a journal that I've put together, which oh, is wow. like a, a day planner. 
um, superjournal.com. You can get that. And it's it's almost like um, it's my day-to-day planner, really. It's got, like, my goals in. It's got my daily schedule in. You know, and I like it pen on paper. I don't want everyone's going, oh, can you not digitalize this? I'm like, no, because you missed the point of why I've done yeah. it in this place. But, um, so yeah, there's this some kind of a beauty about pen and paper. Yeah, I don't know for if, so many if reasons. It's just that our generation stands that. Yeah, I think so, because a lot of people are like, you know, I get the idea because I, I use my computer my phone for like Evernote and Google Keep and all these mm. notes and stuff and it can be really useful and the challenge is if you go in for something on your phone there's lots of other distractions you're also not going to have everything exactly. in one page whereas when I've got the journal I can pop that up against my computer I can focus on what I want to do I can see everything laid out mm. and I'm not going to get distracted by phone or messages mm. or you know whatever else <laughs> have you ever had this that you <laughs> i'm so used to reading kindle or whatever that <laughs> you open normal book and you don't see it very well and you put your fingers on and you do this uh i haven't luckily <laughs> um i've not got that bad but i i do know generations where they oh they're kind of used to swiping oh with the pictures and uh, one of my friends her, her niece was like um you know seeing a picture on a mug and she was trying to swipe the picture <laughs> to kind of get to the next picture. And you just think that is... Was it swipe left? Because she didn't like it. <laughs> well, I think uh, I don't think she was old enough to know about those kind of dating oh, apps. Oh, God. But it is crazy how, how yeah. it's changed. And it's like, I, I'm not a big fan of writing stuff down on my phone, but I love writing on my uh, laptop. Like, I yeah. love this. This is a very tiny laptop. Yeah. And it, I take take it pretty much anywhere and i write actually faster than i write in my hand yeah yeah and also the biggest thing about writing with my hand if i mistake if i have a mistake i want to get rid of it you know i just need to scratch it here I, in laptop yeah. i can just delete it you know at the end of the day right different tools are going to be yeah different things i think for from my journal perspective I, I like to have the physical thing and then you can also keep them as a record mm. and, and everything else so for me it works and and when i don't use it my my days can get away from me quite easily compared to um, if I do have it. So so that's the journal. But yeah, the other book is going to be like hundred. It's already one hundred twenty thousand words. Wow. And if so you think about the first book was thirty thousand words, which is about two hundred and something pages. I think the second book was only fifteen thousand words, and this is going to be at the moment it's sitting at one hundred twenty thousand words, and I still got to do all the references. Um, so. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be... Su- and I will probably, if I can, at some point, break it up into 12 smaller volumes. That was an idea someone gave me and have it a bit like the Working Well book mm. and have it almost like a box set so you can kind of pick and choose the bits you want to read. But in the first instance, I just want to get it out as one singular volume. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because it, it's it's been there for like six years I've been writing it. And it, even before I started writing Working Well, I was wow. writing it. Um, and I've managed to write working well with my co-author in a few months. But this one, for one reason or another, is, is taking a bit longer. Um, and um, But I, I, that was, that's the book that's going to have my, my philosophy in. Um, and that's the book I'm going to be probably most proud of. And it sounds like you're looking forward by being hit by the bus. <laughs> well, I remember reading The 4-Hour Workweek and uh, Tim Ferriss saying... You know, oh, my editor said it has to be shorter, it has to be this. And he's like, well, like, you know, I don't want to leave anything on the table. A lot of people hold things back for future books. But the reality is I've probably got another... Right now I've got, like, 20 books in me in addition to the one I'm writing. So Mm. I'm not, like, short of ideas. I've got tons of ideas for for entire books. Like, a lot of the blogs that I've written could be entire books. Um, So... I'm not like, oh, I'm going to hold it back because what if I don't have anything to write about in the future? 
No, because I know I will if I want to write more books. I, I've got tons of books. The main reason why I was giggling about the hitting by the bus is because one of the films you suggested, which you really like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I asked, I asked Harry, uh, two books, two films, and two most kind of inspiring uh, people in your life. Yeah. And one of the films, it wasn't one of your two ones. First one was Rocky, and the yeah. second one was it Superman. What was the yeah, second one? probably. Yeah, and the third one was yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, and it's hilarious because I actually worked on well, worked on it. What did you it. do on that? What the thing you? is, I'm not even on the credits. Uh, I was hired by the stunt coordinator just to help setting up the rig, what they use for the guy who's getting hit by the bus. Oh right, that was way more visual. The whole thing was. Um, we set up this huge wire rig that the guy would be pulled with all the bicycle and the mm -hmm. bus and everything. And then and they end up editing that out as oh, it right. happens very often. Uh, but yeah, I was in that film and I remember it was such a huge secret and like there's, Oh yeah. And then right when we finished it, the guy was like, yeah, this is actually a guy getting hit by the bus and he is the only one who remembers Beatles. And I'm like, that sounds <coughs> like shit. It's so but good. Then when film came out, honestly, and, and when you said like, Oh, I like to rewatch it once in a while. I rewatched it about four days ago. Yeah, and just put it on. I was like, I love that. I probably, you know, that idea of you come up with something that people just in shock. Yeah, you know that shock value. Just yeah. like the Spider Man turns into Spider Man, and it's like it's a shock that he can move that way and do these things, yeah. and all, everyone's like, wow. And the shock when he played yesterday in front of a bunch yeah. of these people, yeah, friends, and everyone's yeah. like. Oh my god, what is this? And the guy's yeah. like, "What do you mean, what is this?" He goes, "Like, stop taking the piss or whatever." It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Very and then, it, uh, so it's it, it's very. I think I've watched it about three times. And yeah. It's one that like obviously it helps if you like the Beatles music as well, but it's just it's got that rewatchability factor. It's just a feel good movie, which I quite spoiler alert liked. by the way for anyone who haven't seen it, but it's been out for a while now. It's been out for about two years. Yeah. yeah, and it's so good and. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I found it very funny that he looked up Oasis and uh, Oasis wasn't there yeah, either. Yeah, but he's like, he even sense. said something. He said, he said, makes sense, doesn't he? No, no, no. He said something else. Um, oh, I forgot. now. it wasn't make sense. Something matters or something. He said. Anyways, so he, but he didn't try to f f f remember the Oasis songs. You know the. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, he went only for Beatles. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Because why wouldn't he use Wonderwall or you oh, know yeah. Yeah, <laughs> other yeah. songs? Yeah, um, that's funny. Oh, he said, I think it figures something. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, figures, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was just, yeah, inter very because interesting. Because obviously that they, they had massive influence, right, from the Beatles. That's what they always said anyway. And it was yeah. Sort of like they were the kind of the... And then the, the, the Coca-Cola wasn't invented either. That, that I didn't quite understand, but that, that that was there. And then Harry Potter at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so Anyway, so that's... Again. We kind of creeping into uh, films, um, so... Uh, yesterday what about rocky i mean obviously the idea about the underdog and that yeah. i think that resonated to so many people over the world yeah i'm not sure if it was that my first actually rocky movie was rocky 2 anyway so it was less mm. the underdog side of things although it kind of still was but it was more like i just remember i must have been i don't know like eight nine ten that kind of age range maybe a bit older um but it got me into like exercising and work i mean i was always quite into exercising from the age mm. of eight at least that i was quite active and then certainly by the time i got to 12 i mean i as a kid i did things like judo when i was like six seven eight years old um i did a bit of karate when i was like 12 and when i was part of the scouts i remember doing like a badge and i was doing like push-ups for that badge or something like that mm. you know so so i was always quite active like football basketball um but i remember yeah 
just like loving that movie and then kind of going up into the bedroom and kind of doing some weights and stuff you know um so i think that 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 was and also i love the which i found out years later um the the story of how rocky got made oh it was uh, insane the, yeah incredible which is, which story great story but Someone i only found that out maybe 10 years ago just so. So, just a share will of power and it's just like we're going to give you was it almost like twenty five thousand dollars no, so it's just more than that in the, in, uh, well, in the, in the end, end in the end they were, he was offered 300 and something thousand oh my god <clears throat> yeah in 1976 so it's quite a lot of money, and he was no. I even gonna sell my dog yeah. just to. So then they gave him like twenty five thousand. Yeah, it was twenty five grand. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Uh, so that story about Rocky. Um, now since we were talking a lot about mm. books, there were two books. You, mm. uh, you, there were more books. Uh, yeah. You, you were sending me. Was like, oh my god! The thing is, uh, in the last ten so years, difficult to I, I was decision. reading an average book a week for about three, wow for about three years, like in uh, from two thousand. Thank you. From about 2000, like, because I, after university, I basically stopped learning or reading. I was like, I'm done, right? I mm. worked really hard. I did really well in my GCCs, really well in my A-levels, really well in my degree. And then you're like, I'm done. And I'm done. And I went <laughs> traveling. I'm like, I read a few books when I was traveling, but then I didn't really read it throughout my 20s, like, really. And then I started to read again when I got into this whole world. Yeah. Um, and was reading, on average, a book a week because I was traveling to, to work and stuff. So, like, 50 books a year for the first sort of, three four years um and so some of the books uh, may have come out of that um but now i read a lot less because i'm not traveling as much and i'm not as militant with my knowledge but i do a lot more podcasts. how do you read usually do you listen audiobooks or well, do you read physically often physically um so when i was tr when i was going to work i had a nine minute commute on the train oh, okay but the whole commute was 30 minutes so when I was walking to and from the station and doing the escalators, I would have an audio book. Which is perfect. And then when I was on the tube, I'd have the Kindle. And mm. I found the Kindle much easier because it's a lot easier to slip in and out of the pocket, get to the pace, yeah. rather than a physical book. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Me, Kindle, the same thing. Yeah. And you also, for me, uh, someone whose English is third language, I would always, um, it's so easy to mark the words or to look them up. Yeah. And then afterwards, you're done with the book, you have the list of the words yeah. you were looking up and you can... But some books I will buy physically, especially if I want them later for reference mm. or if I plan to read them at home. Uh, some books I buy both um, uh, physical and audio, like I did that with uh, Ben Greenfield's book, Boundless. Mm. I did the audio version, which was 24 hours long, but I wanted the book as well. Um, the book I'm reading at the moment is on the Kindle, but I've got other books coming which are physical. So a whole mix, and I'm listening to actually a, a good book you might quite like, um, The Art of Learning by Joss Waitzkin. So it rings the bell. So he's a friend of... Tim Forrest is, and he's the subject matter of this movie called uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Right, um, right, right. And he was like a chess prodigy, but then he left that and he, then he became like some Tai Chi push hands champion mm. and a Brazilian black belt jiu-jitsu. And it's all about his his um, his way of learning. So, um, but yeah, so the two books that I suggest, what were the two books? One was Warrior Pose. What was the other one? That the I Greatest Salesman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's it. The Greatest Salesman in the World, which is... Actually, a book I rarely recommend to people, but it has probably been one of the most transformational books. Um, so, Greatest Salesman, I got it on audiobook straight away. So, I listened it three times. Okay, so you're doing... So, I was prepping for this, obviously, so we can talk about it. But the Warrior Pause, I got to 40%. 
I was reading in my Kindle. I got to 40% and I just didn't have time to read it. But it's so good. Mm. I love it. I got to the point where, uh, spoiler alert for those who haven't read it, but when he actually got his uh, surgery mm. and he's back to Hong Kong. Right. Um, so the story is about, well, how about you? Just give a breakdown. So Warrior Pose, um, ironically enough, actually, I've got it in my bag in the car because I lent it to my brother-in-law and he's, oh, had, nice. he's had it in Brighton for like two years. Um so it's a st- true story about a guy who used to work for either NBC or CNN or some kind of news. Huge one. Big, like the big biggest channel, one. yeah. And he um, was in the first Gulf War in the 90s doing stuff. And um, anyway, long story short, he ends up with throat cancer. He also breaks his back whilst trying to hang curtains or something. So he, he broke his back first and the, okay, that cancer he, came later. Okay, yeah. So he broke his b- back because... But then he got addicted to painkillers. It was a, it was a storm and he there was a little window open yeah. and he reached for it and just yeah, very it just stupid, fell, it just fell. very stupidly. And and by breaking the back, you break the bone in the back and not the connection so he could like technically still walk around. And, stuff. Yeah. and then create lots of pain and then he developed throat cancer and... It ended up becoming addicted to drugs and uh, like prescription drugs. That is, here's the painkillers. Yeah, that's the one. That's the title. Yeah, yeah. and um, and ended up having an intervention. Going and even though I'm explaining this, it's not really sh- like spoiling the story so much because um, it's just such a readable book. It's, it's so really it, good. It's, I'm. It's so addictive, and because um, I struggle to read after hours, yeah. I usually actually read uh, to make me sleep. Fat, like it, I fall asleep much easier. But like yesterday, I was still two o'clock, and, and I was just still reading. Yeah, and I, I, I found that I read it in like two or three days, and yeah. I would w- read really that good. rather than watch TV, which for me means. It, so this this was one of my six unputdownable books, which I did a book podcast on which Be- before you go about. into like the the main essence and like wh- mm. what i want you uh, instead of like telling about the book just tell like what kind of resonate to you but before we get in yeah. there like so the uh, the first 30 percent 40 percent of the book is about him going from these really rough crazy areas war zones and like uh, from uh, mm. kazakhstan and yeah. all these like and then some of the stuff what he's seen, and they are very graphic about like telling. And one of the craziest one was when he realized he sees on his on the on the ground a cat, cat, uh, caterpillar, and he tr- like tr- wants to pick it up, and he picks it up. It's a a person's lip with oh a god. moustache on it. Oh god. And I was like, I can't even remember that bit. Yeah, well, I just freshly read. And then the other one was crazy when uh, in this uh, refugee camp, there's this woman with a dead child in her hands. She's walking around like with this glossy face and she's just like all malnourished and all that kind of stuff. It's like some of them and they just explain it so vividly. Then the last one was about Thailand, about the sex trafficking and how Mm. like 10 years old girls are like being this it's insane and and from very beginning and also the story how he got into being a news reporter was insane oh yeah he just yeah, randomly yeah. got into this place and yeah, they're exactly. like are you here for interviews some random like out, out the way. insane yeah. and he was like i'm gonna go tomorrow to canada and yeah. all of a sudden he's already there yeah sorry yeah so that's so, and it's just uh, very it's, it's such a great book i mean uh, for me i think what is it, it it's really shown because i've been into yoga since about 2008 well 2006 uh, the reason i got into yoga actually incidentally is because i used to when i worked at the stock exchange i used to work night shifts mm-hmm. and after night shifts I, I would go to the gym and then i remember one time i would be on the treadmill and i almost like like fell asleep or collapsed on the treadmill and i was like oh, i've got to do something other than the gym workout when i finish class 
because um, I wasn't at that point going straight to bed. I, I experimented with different shift patterns. Mm. So then there was a yoga class uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. So I started originally getting into yoga that way, but then it was only when I went to Thailand, did a bit of yoga there, then eventually found a decent teacher in London at a gym and we did like twice a week, 90 minutes. I got really into it. Um, and part of the reason that I was dedicated to getting into it is because I had this neck injury, which still persists a little bit to this day, but, you know, it's a compressed disc or something in the neck. And, mm. and they were like, well, it could be cortisol, could be surgery, could be physio. And so I started doing the physio and then that 10 session block finished and I was like, I've got to continue to do something. And that, so then I was like dedicated every Tuesday and Thursday, I'd leave work at 5.30, 5.35 mm. latest to get to the six o'clock class. And again, this comes back to the whole book, The Thought Gym, where you're talking about identities and values and beliefs and all of that. Right. I was like, I don't care that I might be seen to be leaving work early at 5.30, which is the time that I'm supposed to leave work, right? And people are staying till six or 10 past six or whatever. I'm like, this is more important, right? Yeah. I know that when I'm 80 or 60 or 70 or 80, whatever, I don't want to be hunched over. I don't want to be mm. all of this when I look at people on the street. So I was like, this is important to me so that got me started on yoga and so why i like this book is because it and i normally recommend this to people who are kind of new to yoga thinking about yoga thinking oh, is it really for them mm. you know or or like in my brother-in-law's case is like quite quite injured um to give them inspiration about what's possible mm. from from this you know um, and did you read this book after you already done your yeah yeah your, i only read know. this like I think I must have read this about six years ago. Oh, okay. And yeah. you've been doing yoga now for how long? Uh, I would say I seriously started doing yoga in 2008, so 13 years. 13 years. But I, I started, like, before that, but really, like, a, a regular practice. Yeah. And since we start talking about this uh, th uh, subject, uh, please tell me now the journey you have now. So you teach as well. How long have you been teaching yoga? I've uh, been teaching for about six years. Mm. So I got my qualification or my certification, I should say. There's always a difference between certification and qualification. What is the difference? <laughs> I did a video on the Certification, in my mind, is like you get your certificate, right? You do a course. Here you go. You, you can now uh, teach it. Qualified means, do I feel qualified to actually teach right. yoga, right? And I might, and like some people, they get certified after certification after, and they still don't feel qualified because they don't feel confident enough, whatever. So for me, what qualifies me to, to say, speak on stage about health and well-being is not because now I have a master's in health and well-being, which I do have. That just certifies me as a, I've got a master's certificate, a master's degree. Mm. Um, what qualifies me is, you know, my experience, the hundreds or thousands of books, the thousands of hours, the th two, three books I've written, you know, the, the, the results of my clients. That qualifies me to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. Right. Certification is just a certificate. Right. So. Um, so but I got my certification in 2015. Um, uh, yeah. Just because I wasn't going to teach, but I just thought you know, deeper. My practice is the cliche just mm. to learn a little bit more. Um, so I'd been doing yoga for about seven years before I did my certification. Uh, a lot of people, they do yoga for like six months and they go, oh, I want to do my teacher training. I'm like, mm. Mm, I don't know if that's correct. And it's a specific type of yoga you're doing as well. Well, what I was qualified... Well, what I got certified in was this thing called Budokan, which mm -hmm. is uh, like a fusion of vinyasa flow, which is like a flowing form of yoga, animal moves, martial art uh, influences. It's really quite cool. Animal moves are very, very uh, trendy and popular. Well, yeah, my teacher would not like that statement because he was doing it 
like 15, 20 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, but, but obviously it's because of what was the guy's name? Ida Portal. Yeah, um, so he became just like the guy who does the salt and the meat, you know, there's certain trendy things and all of a sudden everyone's looking at it. Yeah, but, you I know. mean, so I guess my, my teacher would ha- have probably issues with Ida yeah. Portal because he's probably like, like quite, you know, taking it to a, another level, I guess. But yeah, so so it's got that, um, but I don't teach that so much these days because of uh, a knee injury I've got at the moment, and actually it's quite intense on the knees. I, I worked out, so I teach mainly a vinyasa flow, um, which is a movement focused yoga, mm. like um, quite a strong class. Often I'm teaching later tonight, so I only do that a couple of times a week. So it's just a kind of a part time thing, just because I enjoy it, and you know, um, but it's not like a career. Uh, as it were um, yeah yoga yoga and we talked about this before um de- definitely something would like to look into um and i'm doing brazilian jiu-jitsu at the moment and uh so many uh bjj practitioners they say like it's a good thing to do yeah but one of the things i probably could say i'm different from other uh bjj guys that i actually stretch all the time you do a lot You're i stretch flexible. like i can do full splits and all that uh, one definitely what is quite st- uh, stiff is my shoulders like you know when people put their hands behind their back yeah. and uh, can actually clinch them on one yeah. side i'm this far on the other side i'm like this far yeah so i i can't do that currently i, I have in the past been able to do mm. it but right now but i think it also can be do uh, to do something with the muscle mass if you have bigger muscle yeah. mass on your back that's where it's just yeah it's, it, there's loads of factors in that yeah. i mean the one thing i would say with yoga for anyone looking to go and start it is don't go to one class and go no oh, i don't like it it's like it's Check. like going to watch one movie and saying oh i don't like movies well it's like dating girls you know you date yeah. one you don't like and then that's it i'm not yeah exactly date so like say go to lots of different teachers lots of different styles yeah. and lots of different studios 100% right and then you can and then give it time and then you're not going to get the same you will get good results quite quickly but it's not like running where within six weeks of running suddenly your whole body is changed right? mm. yoga doesn't kind of work like that but even if you're kind of good at stretching like I, we see lots of ex-dancers ex-gymnasts yoga in the west is a physical practice i guess but yoga is much more than that mm, historically 100 percent. Um, and even in the west where you do the physical practice what is going to transpire is more about the mental side of things that you'll get the benefit from uh which will which will permeate through to the physical and other aspects so yeah definitely um give it a go even though you're flexible that means you're going to be great you're going to have no issues with that so much but there'll be something yeah. else I think on. for me was the biggest problem was the time because like yeah. also being in Bali yeah, going from like uh, BJJ then I want to do some weights then I want to yeah. do surfing then I want to do all yeah. those things yeah. you spend your whole day doing exercise which is you know I did three and a half hours of yoga yesterday for example yeah. I was on holiday yeah, yeah. Yeah. eventually okay so this is about warrior pause this book so people definitely check it out and the second book you suggested me well the game was one of them uh greatest salesman uh, in the world yeah, yeah it was the greatest salesman in the world i remembered actually read it before a while ago but i already forgot i remember the story so the story goes about uh this uh camel boy who wanted to be a salesman and then he goes to this cave and and meets the uh, the whole thing with the jesus i don't really like re- it just went it's kind fu- of religious well, funny funny thing with that actually when i read the book uh, i read it as it's meant to be read right so this book takes should take you 10 months at least to read all oh, right the reason for that is because in the first chat the first scroll so the book is about 
10 secrets to becoming a, a salesman but it's not really about sales it's really about life it's about and, a life yeah and um, the scrolls 10 scrolls yeah and in yeah. the first scroll when i was reading that i was like the first scroll says yeah i film good form good habits and become their slave mm. but in there it says i'll read each scroll three times a day for 30 days yeah, yeah, before yeah, moving yeah. on to the next one so i was really diligent so oh. i i read the scroll i read it uh twice then i read it third time out loud and mm. and then i didn't even look at the chapter name of the other scroll so i did a month of that then a month of the other and so by the time i read all 10 scrolls which was 10 months later i'd actually forgotten what the story had been about mm. and then i had to kind of reread the beginning before i read the end and so the first year that i read this book and, and this is a book that i read every day yeah um, that's what you mentioned to me yeah. you're still reading every day yeah so i still read every day um so but i do it in a slightly different way so the first 10 months i read it you know three times a day and at work i'd have like a pdf version on my calendar so at mid midday it would pop up and oh, i would just read it like a pdf so no nice. one knew what i was reading so i'd read it in the bathroom in the morning then i'd read it at work on the pdf and then i'd read it in the evening out loud and i did that for 10 months and i noticed massive transformational shifts so you'd be sitting on a toilet and saying greet each day with yeah. love in your heart yeah i do <laughs> yeah so but now i i have a, a copy in each of my bathrooms and i've got a copy on my kindle of the just the scrolls on my kindle mm. um and basically when i'm doing my business in the morning i read it but i just tend to read it internally rather than out loud yeah, yeah, yeah. and i just read one scroll a day so say monday will be scroll one tuesday will scroll two and so on so i don't read it for 30 days at a time but i just read one scroll a day now and i've been doing that now for 10 years mm, nice one man yeah that's i mean when i got to the scroll part it straight away reminded my favorite book which is seven habits of highly oh, effective yeah, yeah. people yeah great book as well um, and uh, i actually met uh, Stephen in person mm. in canada Canada without n knowing yet about the book because uh, my house lady or my uh, house lo um, la landlord, landlord yeah. she was like oh friends if my friends are uh, a part of organizing the seminar and they're getting people in or whatever if you come in and do the uh, little bit of selling the book in front you're going to get in for free which was like three hundred dollars per yeah. day and I was like sure whatever and I went in <laughs> and I was like uh, listening for a bit, oh, this is boring. And then the girlfriend at the time who was seeing, she was sending messages, do you want to go hang out? And I was like, sure, I'd rather hang out with you. And I literally went and left it. And only a year later, anyways, so the story goes, my landlady, she come come over like really upset with me. Why did you leave the, the seminar? It costs so much. Then she gives me the book, the main book, the big one for adults. Yeah. And I also shoved it somewhere under the bed, never read it. And then a year later or two years later, I found his son's book, which mm. is ha uh, Seven Habits for Highly Effective Teenagers. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like started, oh, nice pictures. And it actually resonated with me. And I really, and then I, all of a sudden, all the dots start linking together as like, that's the guy that's the book and then uh, that's where i got the big book and everything yeah but yeah so seven habits and it's about the habits and you know these mm. are kind of representing the same concept yeah and um it, you know again when i was reading the habits i said like why we were taught as catholics or whatever in schools like seven commandments these should be the seven commandments so those yeah. just like here the scrolls those should be the things what since we're kids we should be raised yeah, with oh, you know absolutely. i mean i i remember i had that seven habits on my desk at Sainsbury's I mm. had it stuck up yeah. there and yeah well, I love his book and you know his, all, the, all of his audios as well and for me this I don't normally recommend this book because to to really get value out of this book you have to you need to do that yeah, you need to, to do to the work and most people I've only known two people and uh, not personally like one is my ex-girlfriend's mum and the other one is Tony Robbins 
who have read this book in the way that it's designed to be read mm. uh, and, and myself now um, because it's like anything you need that repetition yeah and you need to kind of create that in your head over and over in order to for that to sink yeah. in properly and yeah. so if you just read it like once yeah you go oh that's good that's good value but you're not gonna really oh no and definitely and not audiobook it. version no for so audiobook it gives you a little bit idea of it yeah, but you could be doing other things and yeah, not yeah, really. yeah so um so i don't normally recommend it as a book but i would say that it's it is uh, been a life-changing book for for me in terms of um you know how i think about things now um and again it's not really about sales so much but like you know mastery oh, no. emotions and you know you know, being nature's greatest miracle, um, power of laughter, all, all of these are such great messages. Um, uh, which was which scroll was uh, saying this shall pass? Oh yeah, this is this is um, it's actually on my backpack. Actually, I've got that phrase. This too shall pass. This all, this, this this too, too shall, shall pass. pass. Yeah. I think it's uh, gosh, which one is it? It's either master your emotions. I think it's maybe? master your emotions. Yeah. But, um, and that for me, like many years ago, like. Eight years ago, I went on this meditation thing called mm. Vipassana. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's um, it's like a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Mm. Pretty strict in terms of, like, you can't make eye contact with anyone. You can't talk to anyone. No pen, no paper. Obviously, no mobile phones. You, you're meditating from, like, 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning to, like, 9 o'clock at night. Anyway, in that period, you've got three one-hour blocks where you have to meditate and not move a muscle and, like, be completely still for, th for three one-hour blocks. Jesus Christ. And as soon as you... And I think I've done a speech on this somewhere on YouTube, but as soon as you kind of start sitting still, you get, like, a really bad itch somewhere. And you've <laughs> got to, like... And you can't, like, wiggle your mouth or nose oh and try no. and scratch. And you... I mean, obviously, you can. No one's stopping you, but, like, you're stopping yourself. And... um and then what you realize pretty quickly is after a few minutes, it, it does pass, right? And you and you go through this whole thing about observing things. And and for me, that Vipassana meditation retreat, one of the main three th things I learned was about this two shall pass. And even though I knew the phrase because I'd read the book many times, um, for, for me to actually live it and embody it, I went through that experience. And I realized not just intellectually, but, you know, in my bones, as it were, that this too shall pass, right? Everything passes, mm. right? So even though I've got, you know, you break your leg or you go for a this breakup shall, or yeah. you, you get, you know, COVID or whatever it is, right? Everything passes, right? Nothing, not even the universe itself is permanent, right? It, it, it's going to come to an end it, or mm. expand forever. Whatever it is, it's going to change. Um, and intellectually, people get it. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, for me, that is probably my number one mental health stress management strategy is recognizing that what is right now is not what will always be. Mm. And, and, and so that's why I've got it on my bag. I've, you know, I remind myself of that. That's probably my key phrase in life. One of my key phrases in life. Before I started doing podcasts, um, I did these little interviews and one of the interviews I did was with this guy who swam seven oceans. They call him the Adam, the ocean walker. He, his first uh, swim mm, was name. English channel. Mm. He swam from obviously from Dover to uh, uh, yeah to France, and um, so he was this uh, office worker who kind of hated his job, and he always wanted to do something sporty in his life. But there was injuries and all sort of things he couldn't do it. He was actually a very good swimmer, uh, but then he couldn't do proper swimming, like competing swimming. And then he's like, "I need to do something with my life." And he, I forgot now, 
you know, there's this interview somewhere on YouTube, but there's, uh, he read this book, which inspired him to, you know, get what he wants to do. And then every time he would get in this cold water and do all this, like this uncomfort. And then his slogan was, um, the no word by word now, but the idea as well, this too shall pass in a way, a little bit of un- uncomfort can uh, bring you to whatever. And, and this guy was just insane. I uh, hope we're going to get him back to podcast again and such a good inspiration for everyone. Now he's traveling the world, giving speeches, teaching how people to swim. Mm-hmm. Like one of the craziest swims, in my opinion, like most of the swims were crazy. So he did these seven long, they, they last for like 20 hours. One of them was in, um, in Los Angeles. Uh, no, it was in Hawaii where he would swim and about two thirds of the swim, he would stung by the man of war, this horrible jellyfish. And like wow. this whole stomach was just like, and he was in this excruciating pain, but he continued swimming. He finished the swim. In the meantime, he was vomiting and all that stuff, but he finished the swim and he got out. Like there's a photo of him, just all stomach messed up. And, and like, I don't know, I was just listening. He wrote also the book and uh, very, very interesting. Anyways, this is our third segment. We're going to have one more. Is this our third or our fourth? I can't even remember. This is third. Oh, wow, wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's going by. Okay. Here you go. We are back. Had some toilet breaks and everything. Um, people. I asked you about two people who inspired you the most. One mm. of them was Tony Robbins. I oh, think yeah. he's probably the biggest cahoon and whale of, yeah. of inspiration. I think, um, uh, not I think, but what happened, um, there was another guest I had uh, whose favorite book uh, was the uh, Waking Up the Giant and Me. Waking the Giant Within, yeah. yeah. And I was uh, listening the audio. I remember I read it a while ago, but this time it was an audio, and I didn't know that Tony is actually mm. doing the voice on mm. it as well. Yeah. And he's like... <laughs> <laughs> got a husky voice yeah that husky he's, voice he's lost like, his, he's, yeah he's almost lost it completely it's a serious issue for him really yeah that's why when he does his seminars now like the upw uh unleash the power within i think he only does two days of it and the other two oh, days wow. is other people because he has to protect his voice because i guess he didn't you know i haven't done enough voice voice work myself where you train how to how to use your voice effectively um it's actually why I did, um, you know, we were talking about stand-up before we went on air, but I did uh, like a singing course years ago because um, oh, yeah. I wanted to learn some of those techniques, but didn't really learn it from that course um, because, you know, it can be really taxing on, and that's your main livelihood is your voice, right? So, yeah, so Tony Robbins was definitely influential. Um, I've listened to probably at least a dozen different audio programs that he's had, like the ones from way back in the 80s and 90s, because now I think he doesn't do so many. Um, yeah, Money Master the Game I've read, Awaken the Giant Within Unlimited Power. Um, the other books are kind of like not not his proper books, I think. But um, so definitely influential because a lot of what he did, even when I was listening to him in 2006, uh, when I first started getting into him and I did, personal power Two, which is his signature program and i don't know many people that have done the full 30-day program mm. um but i did it twice uh once in 2006 once in i think 2011 uh, and i did it both the full 30 days and i did notice it was quite transformational um when i did it and i did it properly i did all the exercises he was talking about everything um and so yeah i I do think he he was one of the people and then the other person i guess was a guy called sean stevenson uh who's got a podcast which i really rate called the model health show and i Mm. definitely recommend 
um, you know, people, if they want to know more about health and stuff, other than checking out my stuff, obviously, um, um, he would be the kind of the other resource that I would definitely go to. If I was recommending just one podcast to listen to on health and wellbeing, um, that would be it. Um, and so I think I've learned a lot of different things from him. I mean, some of it I already knew, but he, he tells things in a nice, accessible way, very well researched. Uh, very balanced mm. um, has some great guests on as well um, and so I think that's been quite influential in a way as well so yeah th- th- those two people definitely um, but it's such a difficult question to answer yeah yeah you know. no it's it's one of those just to kind of get into that I definitely want to ask you like do you remember um, growing up as a youngster to having mentors in your life like no, actual physical I, no I didn't and that's the thing is like the idea of mentors is only really you know, come to prominence for me the last decade in terms of um, when I started going down this rabbit hole of personal development and so on, and I started learning effectively all the different habits that people have Mm. got who are successful, and I started noticing, oh, you know, seven out of ten people say, you know, have a mentor, eight out of ten people say do meditation, nine out of ten people say drink a green juice or whatever, Mm. and I started doing all these habits, which ultimately led me to my health philosophy, but one of the things that I probably, you know, which is probably why I like, you know, things like the uh, the other movie, I'm not sure if I put it in there or not, was like The Karate Kid. Oh, yes, yeah. you did. Yes, and, you did. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things I like about that, and I absolutely love Cobra Kai as well now. Yeah. And, um, but I've I think, binged watched the whole thing oh, yeah, mate. a couple I, I, nights. I, yeah, I, I binged like Series 3, New Year's Day, all done. And then I and was some watching of that it. was so silly. I, I was, was like, watching it when it was on YouTube and I had to pay for the episodes <laughs> and I was paying £1.49 an episode and I did it all in a night. Um, anyway, one of the reasons I think I, that it's so successful, and people, I think that actually people do want that 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 mentorship, right? Mm. Like, I would love as as a fourteen year old to have had like this wise older mentor who could have guided yeah. me through things. Like, yes, you know, I've learned a lot through my dad, through some of the way that I'm observing him behave, whether it's you know how he cooks or how he looks after his family, um, and I had various sort of mentors maybe within the scouts um although they might not be like officially mentors as it were um but i don't think i ever really had that that you know like you see in the classic movies yeah, you know yeah. that that kind of wax on wax off yeah exactly <laughs> or you know way of the spirit uh, a peaceful warrior kind of uh, mentor or or you know what did you think about karate kid with uh with jackie chan i actually only watched that for the first time like about three weeks ago really um just because i was like oh, i think i've seen it but then i started watching bits of it and i was like i haven't seen it i mean i didn't really like it mm. too much it was better fighting stuff and better choreography yeah, so yeah but it, than karate kid but some of it you think well is it because i'm watching it as a 40 something man rather than no. a 14 year old kid i think the acting wasn't really. no yeah. and it was just trying too hard to be something it wasn't maybe i don't know and also like everyone will be comparing it with the original one yeah but then having said that maybe kids love that one yeah right because i i I remember uh, people in my generation hating all the new star wars movies right phantom menace and all of that but uh, kids that grew up with those love those ones Mm. So I think it's an age thing as well, like when you when you go when you first get exposed to it. Um, With the Cobra Kai, uh, the TV series, uh, who you were rooting most? I was rooting the most for the uh, 
they used to be bully and Johnny. Yeah, he yeah. was just I so wanted him to succeed, but every time he would get himself in a fucking trouble, he gets drunk and fights and does this and does that. Yeah, flawed, flawed character. And the feelings what I had when the main evil old fart came back, oh, mm, it was yeah. everything was boiling in me. It was like, oh, my yeah, fuck, yeah. are you back to mess shit up again? Yeah, yeah, Martin Cove, I think, is the actor. Can't yeah, but him. then every time when I build this kind of a hatred towards these characters, what I do, I usually just watch YouTube uh, interviews with them and all of a sudden like oh actually they're just they're just people. acting it's called acting <laughs> but i remember I watching years ago um there was a youtube video which is pretty famous now it's like you know it's saying that um daniel is the real bully i don't know if you've seen that one no oh, it's brilliant and and uh I, and also i remember watching how i met your mother i don't know if you yeah, yeah i've seen it and, a lot and, of it and barney stinson loves and yeah. he's like and he's on his stag do they they get ralph macho and he goes look we even got the karate kid and he goes no he's not the karate kid karate kid of william zapka you know blah blah you know he's the bully he's the he's the hero uh and i was like yeah i mean when you look at it and and you kind of see the youtube video where they're saying like where they're saying like daniel's a real bully it was quite funny and i think they pulled some of that into the series like well, funny enough, um, in the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon is rooting for the sun, not for the uh, uh, that snowman. Um, there was this uh, scene where they basically... So the snowman was dying because of the sun, but uh, everyone was usually rooting for the dying snowman. Oh, and yeah. Sheldon is like, no, I'm rooting for the sun. It's like, oh. anyways, <laughs> I don't know if that... But that's it. It's, it's kind of like everyone... Has, the point, I guess, is everyone has got their own view of the world right yeah. and and what's right or wrong or hero villain or whatever and and it's all down to perspective it's all you know and this is really important in today's society because everyone is becoming quite polarized and, yeah. and thinking oh, i'm right you're wrong and you know this you know and all of that so and that's just not reality is that like everything is is relative i, I try and teach people we live in a relativistic universe and what that means is like nothing is tall or short or good or bad like or happy or sad unless it's relative to something else so yeah. i was listening to a podcast on the way up here and it was all about anxiety and, and things and she was talking about well we can't live with happy feelings all the time because if you did have happy feelings firstly they wouldn't be happy feelings they would just be normalized feelings and things are only really happy in relation to what's sad and i say to my my nieces who are quite like six seven eight years old and i'm trying to talk to them that like I'm not tall, I'm tall relative to you. Mm. But then if you put me next to a seven foot basketball player, I'm going to be short mm. relative to them. And so nothing, everything only means something in relation to something in else. Res- retrospective or in comparison. Yeah, in comparison to something else. I liked uh, Joe Rogan, who I'm listening very often, probably mm. too often. I think he's one of the things what he also repeats in uh, different podcasts was about the worst you ever had was that what the worst you ever had. When you say like, oh my God, this is the worst I ever had. That's your experience. Mm. My worst could be way different. And then for you to compare with the worst is just that's what it is. Uh, just recently I saw that on Facebook, uh, there was a post when this girl uh, partying in this park somewhere with it's like a festival. And then she's like, the cap shows like, oh, I'm suffering from the... Um, uh, uh, anxiety, uh, like post-traumatic, when they said PTSD, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then someone writes down, it's like, it's not like you just were deployed in Normandy. 
you know, on a D-Day. You're just partying and you're just annoyed that you lost your friends. And so that's the worst for her. And then for the different generation back in the days when they were sent to war against your will, whatever, that's the worst for you. Yeah. And then this is where it's like this generation clash as well when it goes. When like for me, what I would say, listen, I experienced sleeping on the floor in Canada, no money, nothing, start doing door-to-door sales and I know how fucking crazy that is. But someone who hasn't experienced, they will say like, well, but this is the worst they're, for me. They're, they're like, my, my, my Wi-Fi is taking five minutes to load exactly. up. Exactly. This is the worst day of my life. Yeah. I you can't know, get hold of Instagram. You know. And then try to go and explain them. And that's the other thing, like when my dad, uh, remember when I, I, as I, as a kid, I would complain, oh, dad, why I need to do all these chores? You know, all my friends are playing in the street, whatever. And uh, my dad would always say, when I was your age, I was working from uh, morning till late night and did all these chores, whatever, and I didn't say anything. So when he tells me that, doesn't make any sense because I wasn't there. I don't know how it feels. You can't. Mm. So that's why in the future, if I do have kids, I, instead of trying to tell them, I would love to travel with them and bring them to these certain places. Like when I was in Jakarta, um, you know, I was riding mm. with a scooter around and seeing these. I went to actually slam slums or whatever they call yeah. them, seeing these dirty, disgusting rivers who s- just stench and these kids playing around, topless running and just. But you see these happy faces, yeah. smiley faces, yeah, yeah. and then instead of me trying to explain that to my child, yeah, which yeah. is pretty much impossible, I would take that and issue. And then yeah. it puts you in perspective and you, all of a sudden you feel like, oh my God, my life is but so good. But this is the know? thing is like, I, I remember like when I was traveling and, um, you know, it was the best education mm, really. 100%. And, and I was in Vietnam and, you know, I'd go to mm. these museums and I'd see all these like aborted fetuses <gasps> that, that were from like ancient orange. You know, the, the thing that... In that book, what in the, it's, they talk about the uh, warrior pose. I'm in that uh, place uh, when he, oh, really? yeah. he went to Vietnam and he was talking about Yeah, so these. I would go to these things and you see these babies in jars and yeah. things. And, and I remember once, like in, I don't know if I was in Saigon or, or Ho Chi Minh City or somewhere like that, but I remember seeing like um, a guy who had, I think, basically one arm and no legs and he was getting around on a skateboard, like mm. just pulling his yeah, arm. And yeah, I'm like yeah. thinking, you know how how great have we got it right like yeah you know because the fact that if someone's listening to this or watching this they're in the top two percent richness of the population of the planet probably right and it's not really to take away from anyone's personal experience because like you say like like that could be the worst that they've ever had because that's their experience of life so far and there are always grades because like you know no matter how bad you've got it probably someone else got it worse no matter how good you've got it someone else has got it and we have this comparison nature within us to say, you know, how am I compared to my school friends or how am I compared to mm. the rich 100 million follower person on Instagram? And so we can always complain about something. Um, but I, I, I absolutely agree. Like, I think when you when you go and you travel and you see those less fortunate with yourself, you become way more grateful. And, you know, speaking of gratitude, because this is a, a really important point for me, is um, that again when I started going to the yes group I remember I went and saw a speaker and at the end of the talk he was doing a Q&A and he challenged people to do like a 30-day gratitude practice where mm-hmm. you write down three things that you're grateful for each day for 30 days and I started doing that in 2011 and for me because I'm someone who's naturally got quite a an analytical and maybe even critical mind um, I, I can see the negative quite easily in things um, and what's wrong and you know how to fix it and whatever but when I started doing the gratitude practice after about three weeks and certainly after four weeks, 
my mindset started to shift and I started to see the good in things and the positive things. Mm. And, um, and I ended up just carrying it on and, and I still do it to this day now. So, so I've got a book, several books now with the gratitude in that I write down three things that I'm grateful for every day. And I've been doing that for over 10 years. That is a very good exercise, especially before you go to bed to do the yeah, three so I things do it. you are uh, I do it for. just before I go to bed. Um, and also about two and a half years ago, I, I, I work with clients and whenever I work with clients, no matter where they are happiness level, I always say, you know, this is a good practice to get into. Anyway, some clients were feeding back to me about how they've gone from a negative mindset to a positive mm. mindset by doing it. So I said to my parents or my family, should we do a 30 day challenge in our family WhatsApp group? And we write down three things we're grateful for for 30 days. Uh, and so a few of them said yes, a couple of them didn't, you know, which was a bit annoying. Um, anyway, after about 30 days, my mum wrote in you know day 31 and carried on and i was like oh. so we've carried it on and now we're on day 1017 oh, no, that's so, so every cool. day in our in our family whatsapp group like you know around that eight, eight awesome. nine o'clock at night you get this kind of flurry of messages yeah. about you know what you're grateful for and it can be that day it can be that year it can be your life whatever uh, but you get to kind of share lots and and so i do that plus i do my own gratitude and so your gratitude usually got pissed uh, met this girl well what was it, what was <laughs> today will be about no yesterday was like going to like a 7 a.m yoga class followed by swimming the sea followed by a, a 9 a.m yoga yeah. class on the beach and then going out for like a drink with my mates and you know there's so, the thing is there's so many things to be so grateful for. many things listen the thing just getting out of your bed you are healthy you have yeah. uh, you have you roof, have roof over your head we have access to the internet current, all these currently we have uh, you know we have and all these amazing uh, things you remember the the book the the secret and the mm. the film afterwards the, yeah. the, the, the gratitude rock do you remember the story about this guy who is basically oh, send maybe. this rock to oh, yeah. uh, so uh, to, while, to someone yeah. who was very sick but the idea was like you have that rock every time before you go to bed you take it in your hand and then you say those three things you're grateful for oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. so that goes so far and right now when you just said um uh, as well about how we comparing like someone is always going to be worse or something someone is going to be better than me but in the book that's why i, I opened the scrolls again mm. one of them was mentioned that always try to be better than you were yesterday and it's about you don't compare yourself yeah. with anyone else it's about the battle with you yeah and that's why so so often athletes and 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 uh, other performers they would say i'm not comparing myself to anyone else i want to no. be better version than i was yesterday and this is what i say to the kids as well is i i say look you know you i always say like because i always say what does practice make and they always say perfect and i say no practice doesn't make perfect practice makes progress right because if you go for perfection you're going to be eternally disappointed mm. right it doesn't really exist but all you want to do is progress and as long as you're progressing you're going to be happy and you 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 want to be better today than you were yesterday, knowing that tomorrow you're going to be better still. But I also say it's not like a straight line where it mm -mm. goes up. It's more like the stock market where it goes up a little bit, then goes down, up, down. And then sometimes you have a big crash and then you kind of go up. But generally speaking, there's a trend line. You know, and I say oh, a bit like the kind of COVID cases where you kind of see up and down, up and yeah. down. But then you see a trend line. And, and you want to see the trend line going up in terms of your progress, not, not look at each day and say, well, I didn't do so well. But generally yeah. speaking, this year you'll be better than last year. And, and all I that. like that you have that up and down. The way I look at it, I have point A, that's where I start, and this is my goal. I don't know, like be the best stand-up comedian yeah. ever. So, And then you have this line, which uh, which not going to be always straight, yeah. but it would be like, oh, you go go there um, uh, and, and take different loops. So because... 
we have these different stepping points which sometimes does take us away from that target but we still maintain kind of going yeah. forward and it's all about just maintaining that forward uh yeah direction. it's like um i remember when i did my first nlp course and they were talking about airplanes right airplanes are like off course 90 percent of the time yeah. right because they're never going direct straight line to where they want to go they're always off course mm. and they're always correcting their course that's perfect that you just mentioned that analogy uh so you heard of the book and we talked about habits and how important it is to maintain your habits the uh, uh, Atomic Habits. Have mm -hmm. you heard that book? Yeah, yeah. You read James, it? James, yep. Yeah, James so uh, he uses one of the examples that uh, the tiny little habit, if you maintain it constantly every day, can change your course. And that's what he was comparing with the mm -hmm. plane. If you change course just by a tiny little degree, that like in a, in a big, uh, uh, time frame is yep. going to make a huge difference. Absolutely, right? This is like, you know, driving a car, Hallelujah. pointing anything and, and, and this is why I tell kids as well, like, when, especially if they're going to start to misbehave, for example, it's like, well, you know, here you are now and I kind of draw it on the border. So like, you know, you can decide, say, not to volunteer to speak, right? And that's going to take you there. Then you're going to like cower away and not do this. Then you're not going to go for the job interview or the university interview you're not going to get the job the girlfriend whatever and you end mm. up here or you put your hand up you volunteer you do this you do that you do that you, you you get the job you get the interview you get the confidence you get the girl or the guy or whatever and then you end up here and like your life is totally different because each decision you make stacks upon the the one before it and it will you know it will lead you in one direction or the other yeah. over, over time right so yeah that's also from seven habits the first one was be proactive Instead of yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. reactive, Re yeah, yeah. reactive, yeah, things to come like and that that one uh, stayed in my head so often. Like when you see a fight, do you go and join the fight and make it more mess, or you just be a bigger man and just step aside to it? You know, mm. or yeah. yeah, listen, we you know we can talk we about can these talk things for ages in ages. Listen, before we wrap this up, there are certain things what you mentioned you would like to talk about. Well, I, I was going to say, um, well. I mean, for anyone listening or uh, watching and wants to kind of connect or know more, especially about, so I, I've spent the last over a decade distilling down and working out what it is that high-performing individuals do from mm -hmm. a habits perspective, uh, a healthy habits perspective that make them perform not just in the short term, but in the long term. Um and have the health, vitality, and energy they want, and so all of that is is uh, in my framework called the Leadership Beat Model. But I run these free masterclasses online, which I've I've only started doing recently. So, in the, um, but if they want to attend one of those masterclasses, there's a couple of dates coming up, and there'll be more in the future, depending on when they're listening to it. So, mm -hmm. just for them to head to the thoughtgym.com. So the Thought Gym is in thinking the thoughtgym.com forward slash masterclass so you'd have to probably put it into the actual address bar um so you get because you want to go to the thoughtgym.com forward slash masterclass. there you go no that's the uh, oh that's the book that's the book yeah so if you go into the um with no spaces though yeah so www or whatever Shouldn't be that on your ins. Uh, uh, yeah, it will be. Yeah, if you can click on that, and then you go. click on the first one. There you uh, go. Top one. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that that will take you. So the thoughtgym.com forward slash masterclass, and that's. And so anyone who wants also the thought gym your Instagram account. So anyone who wants to connect with me on uh, social media, whether it's YouTube, there's over two three hundred videos on YouTube. Uh, it's the thought gym, Twitter, the thought gym, Facebook, the thought gym. 
everything's a thought gym. Instagram's just Google a thought it. gym. And as, lo- as long as you see Harry's chest with a Superman S letter on it. Well, that's an, actually an H. It's a super is, is H. It? Yeah, if you go to the Instagram, you'll be able to see oh, it. Oh, no. It's a super we H. See, look. It's yeah, a, it's a super H. For it's Harry. It's just... Yeah, but it's done in. Oh, the really? Song. Is that what it's for? <laughs> Some people, but then it's not super H. It's just H. Yeah, but people don't. Yeah, people are like oh, you're H man. <laughs> there's me taking off actually in that picture. They go, I'm flying. What is the deal with this? I was like, that's mm. it. So yeah, we probably don't have too much time to talk about this. this. Is mouth taping overnight? So when you go to sleep, you'll probably quite like to try this. Oh, because um, I just talk too much. No, <laughs> I probably need during the day. What it, what it does <laughs> is it helps with so many things. But effectively, a lot of people are mouth breathers, and even though consciously you might have trained yourself during the day to breathe through your nose, which you should be breathing through your nose. Spoiler alert: not through your mouth. Yeah. Um, but when overnight, often we can revert to to mouth breathing. And it will do a number of things when you mouth breathe from of changing the bacteria in your mouth, but also making you more dehydrated, activating your stress response, um, not having you feel as energized when you wake up. So when you when you tape your mouth like that, mm. like just a small piece of tape doesn't have to be across the whole mouth like I did once in a while. <laughs> um, but so that you can open it if you needed to. And it's not going to be like you're not putting duct tape or anything. And like can that. spice up your love life as well if you do that more often. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Because um, Joe Rogan has a podcast about he has a guest who was talking about all the nose breathing. You probably yeah, should probab- check it out. I probably have heard it. It's probably with James Nestor. Or, yeah. um, so James Nestor wrote a great book called Breathe. And, uh, I started reading it as well, Pat, I think. Yeah, Patrick yep. McGowan wrote The Oxygen Advantage, which is really good. So this will help you breathe through your nose overnight. And if you've got a partner who snores, uh, this will help stop them snoring probably. Um, but you'll wake up, you'll feel more refreshed, you won't be as dehydrated. And it doesn't fall off, you don't take it off while asleep? Uh, occasionally I might do. Like, you know, maybe like four in the morning I might end up taking it off or something. Um, yeah, that's the red light therapy. So I, when I meditate, often I have infrared light. So mm, infrared light. That's why you're so brown. It doesn't tan <laughs> you. It's not UV light. It's, not, uh, it's cause I've been on holiday in sunny Devon. That's why I got wait, the wait, tan. Wait. That's why you're so brown. <laughs> so I do lots of weird habits, some of which I talk about in the masterclass. So, you know, check out the yeah, rebounding and... But uh, listen, it's awesome always to try something else, something new. And it could you don't know where it can lead you. Yeah, so so definitely head to that masterclass there. So can check out, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Yeah, you kind of the, know almost what you're talking about. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope to think I'm a bit more qualified now. Yeah, um, are you certified or are you qualified? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> now I'm both certified and qualified, but the certification doesn't make me qualified. <laughs> but I do have now a master's in health and well-being, which didn't really teach me a huge amount compared to what I already Really? Knew, but it's a certificate. Not that I've ever actually, with the corporates I've worked at, no one's ever said to me, you know, do you have a certificate in health and well-being or anything like that? They just, you know, they just... Um, Take your word, basically. Well, they, they trust the results, I guess. And, yeah. you know, and I know what I'm talking about. And, and when I deliver stuff, I'm always delivering really great, actionable, practical advice is what I've been told. Mm. People like, it's not very... Sh- there's theory, there's data and science, but it's mainly that people can actually implement and take things away and do things, right? Mm. Like, you know, mouth t- like like mouth taping overnight, right? Just get a bit of surgical tape, try it. Um, s- someone in my comments there, I can't remember, would have said, um, it's trans- I don't know if it was this comment or whether it was in the Facebook one, 
Maybe this stuff is very effective. <laughs> promoted on. Oh yeah, promoted. <laughs> I have those. And all maybe it was the on time. the Facebook one where he said it was like life changing thing. Every time, every time when they oh, say, there we go. Brilliant. That, maybe it's Tony. Mouth brilliant. Tubing. It changed love my life. Love tubing. It had changed my life. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so it, it can be a life changing practice. So you can try mouth taping. You know, <laughs> just some micro tape, and try that tonight. I'm just, uh, yeah. It is a bit weird. When someone was like, I, I asked that to my girlfriend and now I'm single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the, I do a lot of weird habits, like not least of which mouth taping. I wear funky glasses overnight, you know, to protect my eyes from blue light and things. Mm. So not a lot of this stuff is not conducive to necessarily having uh, a girlfriend unless that girlfriend is uh, on that same kind of path or at least uh, very forgiving <laughs> mm. so listen we are almost like saying goodbyes but yeah. before we say goodbyes can you give me a little insight of your diet at the moment like what is the diets you you prefer what do you suggest um, and do you do any fasting any yeah of that? okay so yeah I, i i do intermittent fasting so I, i typically do what i call not a time restricted eating but i i think about when my last meal was that day and then try and make it Typically 14, well, typically 16 hours, mm -hmm. at least 12 hours um, from last meal. So la yesterday, for example, I finished eating at half three, which is only because um, I ate quite a big lunch and then didn't want to eat later. And then I had something around 11 today. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it might be like, yeah, somewhere between 12 and 18 and hours. And you've been doing that for a while now? Uh, that I, I've only been doing for about two years or so, oh, okay. two or three years. Um Um, my philosophy is on my website in terms of the actual food style, which is called Panlo 8020, which we don't have time to go into. But, yeah. But there's a blog on my Harry Kalimnios website. Um, There so, you go. So, so you, people can check this out. Yeah. So you can just go to harry.hk and you'll find the blog. Um, but ultimately, the, the simple way I would tell people to do it is, is, is little things like, yeah, like do have a long fasting window if you can. I sometimes do fasts for like four, five, six, seven, eight days where I'm just having like vegetable juice. Mm. Uh, I do vegetable juices most mornings and vegetable smoothies most mornings. I do what I call front loading. So I front load my nutrition at the beginning of the day, I stack it with like, so my, my vegetable juice and smoothie might have upwards of 15 portions of vegetables in. And I probably eat somewhere between 15 and 20, 25 portions of vegetables mm. a day. But do you eat meat? You eat fish? No, I don't eat meat or fish. You don't eat meat or fish in how long now? Meat has been about 10 years. Fish has been about nine. Wow. Dairy's been about 13 gluten's been about so you vegan 10. or vegetarian no i would say vegan so my my version of vegan so i used to not have i think there was a period of about four or five years where i didn't eat eggs mm -hmm. um uh, but now i do eat eggs occasionally mm -hmm. um i do put collagen in the smoothie um i do yeah so but i don't but yeah so it's a very complicated reason yeah, as no to why and why not but but um but yeah effectively I would say for most people, with a caveat that everyone's an individual and got the different beliefs and whatever else, most people could do with eating way more plants, even if mm -hmm. you're like a carnivore or such. Um, I would say, you know, minimum of like, say, 10 portions of veg a day is what I would recommend. Um, and if you just eliminated processed foods or at least ultra processed foods, you know, they're going to have some processed foods. I have some processed foods, but you don't want super processed yeah, foods. Yeah. Just be mind mindful. So yeah, anything in a packet, anything made by a plant and not by a plant, 
like in a plant and not buy a plant. Any, anything that needs an advertising campaign to get you to buy it probably shouldn't eat it. Um, you know, anyone that's got a celebrity endorsing it probably shouldn't eat it. Um, <laughs> so it's very straightforward stuff, yeah. right? It's you know, it's it's all the unsexy stuff, and you know, eat natural, eat, eat. which is total opposite the way you look. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then you'll feel better, you know. So, so yeah, I would say, but also not. I don't do. I have balance, right? So I don't do things too yeah. too extremes, and like you know, I'll eat ice cream like. You know, you'll see on my Instagram stories the other day, I was having like a, a vegan kebab and chips, right? I was like, oh, I'm on holiday. I'm d- doing what I want to do. Because I don't ever say no to anything. And I've not given up meat. I just haven't had Homeostasis. it. Homeostasis. Yeah, but I just haven't had it for 10 years. Yeah. But if I want, I could eat it tonight, right? It's probably not going to happen. But maybe I would... And, and I may well... Ch- I'm free yeah. to change my mind on that. Exactly. Like, so I, I don't want to identify my lifestyle diet as being oh, I'm this or I'm that, because then that ties into my identity as yeah. a person. And my identity as a person is someone that likes to explore and do different things. Right now, I'm running a 10-year experiment, as it were. But in the next 10 years, maybe I'll go and be pure carnivore. Who knows? Um, but um, but right now, it kind of works for me uh, at the moment, the way I'm doing things, I think. Nice. And he's almost 44. Look at yeah, him. Yeah, two weeks' time. Yeah, I was just saying that. He looks less than... Um, 40 for me for sure yeah. late 30s yeah listen harry so much thanks towards you from here and and like we did two hours and there's still so many things to talk yeah, about yeah. and we hopefully in the future we can this do, is the problem we get two again. speakers in a room hey <laughs> there, there you go. go now i know where that button is <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah the uh the the podcast the title of the podcast used to be a collection of blueprints i thought it was too pretentious too uh too out there now it's just renar's podcast so everyone understands renar's podcast simple listen thanks again and pow and that's it we are finishing this thank you so much guys little dance little dance hey